Loaded sport. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, God, <laughs> what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just too good. Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of Loaded Sport. The lads are back. We've got a full squad after me and Aggie took you through last week's action, so we're going to get stuck right in. Speaking of Aggie, I'm going to leave him till the end because he is going to kick us off on the first subject tonight. So, first of all, I'm going to bring in. The poorly man who was 50-50, did not train this week, but did manage to make it on game day. Sam, how are you, mate, and how are you feeling? Yeah, better, mate. A lot better than what I was. Questionable, hanging above my head all, all week, as you say. But yeah. of, uh, game time decision, I've, I've pulled through for the boys. So, yeah, let's uh, let's have at it. That's absolute, mate. You you went away this past weekend, mate. Spent the weekend in a, in a caravan with Katie. Tell, uh, tell us and the viewers how you got on. Yeah, brilliant. So uh, luckily, we I think you lot down here in the Midlands had quite a bit of shit weather this weekend, on and off with rains and shit like that. So that's what my mum and dad said. But we missed all of that. It were blue skies pretty much all the time. Uh, did a bit of swimming in the swim pool, the on-site swim pool. Definitely not the uh, the sea because it was far too cold for that, whether it was just because it was sunny. Uh, had a walk around the pier, got some cracking fish and chips from Trawler's Catch. Um, I know that's not your favourite uh, favourite one, but... What? Shark dinner, mate. Call it by its proper name. Oh, is it? Oh, it is the same place, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, right. So I always thought you was recommending another place when you said shark dinner. Right, no, that's no, fine then. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah, found a cracking little cafe that does uh, the, the best breakfasts in Skegness, literally ranked on Google. Uh, oh, we went meant, like they had a sign up, you know, like <laughs> the best coffee and stuff. I thought no. Google recommendation always. I'm always prepared. I can't just go and wander around and just find first place I see. Yeah. Um, went to a seal sanctuary, looked some seal pups and some fucking meerkats and crocodile. I mean, crocodile in Skegness, but it's weird. But yeah, overall, really good weekend. But as you can probably hear on my voice, I've, uh, I'm a little bit worse for at the minute. of uh, just recovering from the old COVID-y. So yeah, not, uh, not a bad weekend all in all. Thank you very much for asking. Happy days, mate, and good to have you back. Next up is a man that, again, wasn't here last week, not because he was poorly, but because he was living life in the Republic of Ireland capital that is Dublin. Kemp, again, how are you, mate? And talk us through how your weekend away was. Yeah, great. Thank you. I had a really good time. Missing the uh, missing the Guinness wholeheartedly. Uh, so much so that I've uh, I've cut drinking out of my life now because I know I'm not going to get that same experience. So now I've actually made the conscious decision that I don't think I'm going to have a drink until Christmas. So we'll see how that one goes uh, this Sunday when the Giants are getting uh, spank, spanked again. Uh, but yeah, I had a really good time. Uh, did all the tours, the touristy stuff, uh, and then went to the Game of Thrones Museum, which I know Sam sent you lots of pictures of that, and that seems like... Right up your alley as well, which was Big really time. good. Um, but I also, in my week off, managed to procure some items that I just wanted to share with everybody on the podcast and just see what your thoughts were on, on the catch, as it were. We mentioned the trawler's catch there, the catch that I got uh, this last week. So, Sam, I'll start with you. And there's been a lot of publicity on Loaded Sport about your optimism and confidence, perhaps, with your new quarterback. So what I thought I'd do, as you know... Is you have a new jersey yes. on its way to you, courtesy of TK. Get so that's him. the number one. That's a good what a start. boy. What a now, boy. Now we've got now we're carrying on this tradition. Aggie, you're a miserable cunt. So I thought I'd cheer you up a little bit and get you a colour rush. <laughs> what a guy. 24. 
So there you Thank go. You. That's a present for you. And Dawson, your Patriots are fucking shit at the minute. But what I thought I'd do is I thought I'd try and cheer you up just a little bit. I give you, you a bit of a trivia question. Who's the number nine for the New England Patriots this season? Matt Judon. And Matt Judon is the player you will have on your back when you are representing the Patriots and Loaded Sport for the rest of the season. So there you go, boys. I come back from Dublin bearing American gifts, as it were, which is strange. But there you go. For my Loaded Sport, boys. Always, always, always. Um, but yeah, it was a fantastic week off. Hope you enjoy your jerseys, boys. Just a little token of my appreciation for all three of you lads uh, through thick and through thin. And speaking of thick, Aggie, oh, it's your turn, isn't it? I can't lie. It, after all that graciousness of Kempy just giving away, just unreal from him. Only thing I think of thinking, I'm back, back in my head is thinking, where the fuck is man with the mic coming? And it's not come this episode. <laughs> yeah, true. true we've had it, oh, by the way, yeah, sorry, Mr. Dawson, Mr. White, man with the mic. How are Get you? There we go. He's back. Let's crack on. And last, but again, by certainly no means least, is the man that is going to kick us off with the first subject tonight. It is the man that led me through, dragged me through episode 70. Um, it is, of course, Aggie. So, Aggie, first of all, how are you, mate? And second of all, start us off with the first subject of the week, which is talking us through your flash score. Whoa, commentary whoa, 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 loyal man, baby. Whoa, oh, whoa. Well, it's fine. That's fine. Well, well, it's fine, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll loop it back in. Don't worry oh, about it. We've got Jesus. it all under control. I've got a player ready and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Quick before he forgets him. Uh, yes, mate, I'm good, thank you. Um, I hope you are as well. It was uh, a very interesting yet exciting experience on Saturday covering for Flash Score. Very different to anything I've been familiar with. As you guys know, I've been working my arse off for a long time trying to get these sort of opportunities. Um, working, you know, doing four-hour radio shows, that kind of stuff where you've got to do an hour of build-up, an hour after as well talking about the games, the results, that sort of stuff. So for me, it was a very surreal and different experience to kick things off. Obviously, you guys, and I appreciate the support you gave me leading up to kick-off because I was uh, very bloody nervous. So thank you for that. And then as soon as things kicked off, uh, half past, I did the, the little trial run where they just checked that all the sound checks good, said everything's fine. thought, right, what am I going to do now for the next 25, 30 minutes? Because for me, it's just at this point, I'm too busy you know, talking about the game. Just managed to sit and watch a bit of TV. And then as soon as it hit 5-2, um, I was live. I was doing the team news, you know, going through the build-up to the game, which was uh, very exciting. Of course, heading into West Ham against Sheffield United. And then th- the game itself, the first half. And then at half-time, normally I'm just sat talking again. But no, I've got a break this time. So, you know, I've got a glass of water, been able to relax for 15 minutes before the second half kicks off. And then you go again. Lagging a little bit towards the back end of it. It's the first time I've ever done commentary on my own. But in general, I think that will come over time. But yeah, all in all, excellent experience. Can't believe I'm sat there talking about football for literally two hours and getting paid for it. Well, that has always been, as long as we've known you, mate, and for much, much longer than that, been your dream, mate. So, honestly, mate, we're, we're so proud of you that you've got even further up that ladder now, and, and this is the start now of being a part of the big picture. But I do have a question for you, because obviously in the UK, we do have the the, the blackout, as it's called, on the uh, on the Saturday 3pm kickoff. So, Obviously, Flashcore is an official platform and they're going to have some kind of license in which allows their commentators, a.k.a. you, to access that. So you might not be able to give us the name of that platform or whatever it is, but just out of my own curiosity, talk me through how you are able to watch a Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff and uh, not have the police knocking on your door. Similar to how those at Sky Sports do. It's, it's. I think there's different licensing for... Um, 
different companies, you're not allowed to stream it. You're not allowed to show it live. So you can talk about it, that kind of thing, but you're not allowed to show it live across the country. So it's like BT couldn't do it or TNT as they're now known. Sky can stream a three o'clock kickoff, you know, that kind of thing. So I think there's things in place that have allowed us to do it. I've just been told what I needed to do to make sure I can watch it. So I've done what they've told me to do. Um, but the rest of it, where they get it all from, the licenses, that kind of stuff is above my pay grade. So, yeah, I don't worry about that. But, yeah, it, it's it's nice to be able to sit and watch it. And I got to see uh, the Blaze for the first time this season. And, Kemp, you're right, they are shit, mate, this year. <laughs> Seen it for the first time, and I'm guessing hopefully the last. But uh, who knows what could happen over the next few months. So, look, that's the intros out of the way. And I feel like there's a lot of love in this room. Maybe it's because we've had a couple of weeks of not having the full squad together. So, Shall we get stuck in and start falling out with each other and arguing? Because I feel like that's where, where yeah, we do back to normal. Stuff, so. Back to normal. Back, back to normal. So we're going to kick off with Lower Man. The order tonight is Kemp, then me, then Sam, then Aggie. So Kemp, I'm going to guess it's not Mario Melchior. I'm going to guess it's not the man whose team I'm repping tonight, Lionel Messi of Inter Miami. Talk us through, give us the shout and kick us off with who is the player that starts Lower Man this week. The player that starts Lower Man this week is Kevin Muscat. Kevin Muscat, I'm going to go red in. Stephen Hunt. Aston <laughs> Villa. John McGinn. Kilmarnock. Craig Bryson. Who? Craig Bryson. Derby. Yeah, it's yeah. all up. Good Aggie, good Aggie. <clears throat> Wayne Rooney. Manchester United, fuck it. <laughs> Michael Owen. At Liverpool. Emil Heskey. Leicester. Jamie Vardy. Bleewood. Anthony Sarsovic. Ooh, um, <laughs> a Wigan. Bullshit. Let me just confirm. Uh could have had a bullshit on Muscat as well, right at the start. Yeah, I wish I went I went sure on that to be honest. <laughs> and who did you say who did you say for uh, for Sarsovic? Wigan uh, Red, Red Wigan, yeah, sorry. Yeah, we... Wigan. Ah oh, yes, no, 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 he's not played for Wigan, but it's very, very unfortunate because He's played for Crew, which is not far away, Chester, which is not far away, and Bolton and Stockport. Oh. All like around the area. Yeah, yeah. No, unfortunately not. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we'll try it again. Next I'll clean week. that one. I'm kicking off next week, so uh, I'll, I'll try and do better on that one. But anyway, the headline of this week: we we spoke about me and Aggie. We previewed Spurs versus Liverpool in that Saturday evening kickoff, and there has been next to no discussion off the back of it, back of it about Spurs winning about the performance, about the goals. It's all about the referee decisions and the VAR and, and everything that's gone off. Everyone knows it's been all over the news and everyone's got their opinion. So, Aggie, I'm going to start with you, mate, because you've been the biggest opponent of VAR and everything else. So we we spoke about it briefly when we went to watch Town on Tuesday night. Just I, I don't even know where to start because there's so much. The red cars, the goal for Luis Diaz that should have been given that wasn't, the audio that's come out off the back of it and the fact that um, the the people in VAR didn't correct anything because they thought it'd be given on field and just an absolute shambles from start to finish and ruined what could and should have been a real highlight game at this stage of the season. So, Aggie, talk us through your thoughts. It's quite embarrassing, isn't it, to see these 
constantly happening. And I know I think Klopp said that he thinks the game should be replayed. I think that's a bit extreme. I think the audio that's come out leads me to believe that there was what about 20, 25 seconds of play after they'd allowed the, the play to restart. It's not like they've been playing for 20, 30 minutes. At that point, as far as I'm concerned, you can pull it back and say it's a goal and just, you know, kick off and maybe add that on as added time towards the end, which is an easy, easy route out of it. I think, like I, I want to point out and make clear, because I know everyone's going on about how I hate referees, I hate VAR, all that sort of stuff. I don't hate the concept of VAR. I think the personnel running it are hopeless. And this is just another prime example of why they're getting things wrong, because the people that are doing it, are making error after error. And I think from refereeing perspective, it is going all the way down the ladder, all the way down the pyramid at the moment. There seems to be a real inconsistency ever since, you know, goal line technology, maybe even VAR came in, that referees just don't seem to have the same sort of understanding of what the rules of the game are. You know, I know some of it's opinionated, but it's just, for me, I think until we've got it nailed on, we shouldn't be using VAR because as soon as we do, all this media spotlight is going to go straight towards it and we're going to constantly be going round and round in circles of should we have it, should we not, we've got another issue, this is a problem. You know, fix the problem of the people first and then start using VAR and implement it a little bit more. But at the moment, it's doing more harm than good because even people's comments are, are so negative towards it that it, at some point everyone's just going to be against it and like get it out of the game completely. Yeah, but yeah. how do you... Um... How do you practice that then? If 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 you ban it completely until it's hundred percent sorted, how do you know it's hundred percent sorted until it's in practice? Courses. Give give the referees additional courses on using VAR and implementing it within the rules and the structure of the game at the moment. The rules are forever changing. You know, the offside rules changed at least a dozen times since I started watching football. So yeah, just just you know, give them extra courses to be able to sit down and go through. You still don't know in a live game scenario whether it works or not. You can do as many courses as you want. In a live game scenario, you still don't know whether it works or not, do you? No, you're right. So maybe bring it in a a, a lesser level, if that makes sense. I know putting it straight into the Premier League where everyone's claiming, you know, it's a big deal and that sort of stuff. And I think, did it not start at the World Cup? Was that? Yeah. Or the Euros. The Euros and World Cup. Euros and World Cup it first started at. And to be fair, it actually seemed to work quite well. Very well. And from what I understand is other countries, it seems to work quite well. It just seems to be. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is? Because teams, because teams last season in the Premier League voted against semi-automatic VAR. Semi-automatic VAR is what they use in the Champions League and in the World Cup, international tournaments, etc. What happens there is that there's a software that essentially allows the the VAR system to detect an offside and makes the decision instantly. There's no need for human interaction whatsoever. Premier League clubs last season voted against the implementation of that semi-automatic VAR, meaning the VAR will be controlled by people at Stockley Park and, and referees essentially controlling the outcome of the game. And why do you think that is, Adam? What, what What's your theory on why you think that Premier League overall, the vast majority of the clubs in the Premier League, rejected that notion? I'm not sure. You tell me, you tell me if you know. The exact same reason that Sheffield United, although albeit we've been shit this season, and I'll openly admit to that, the exact same reason that Sheffield United have been shafted with referees' decisions ever since the start of the season. Same as Bournemouth, same as Brentford, 
same as Luton. So all these clubs that aren't big clubs and shouldn't be there, essentially, according to the rest of the, the Premier League elitist view on the Premier League, um, that's why they don't want semi-automatic VAR. Because if they have an automated system in place, they can't be biased towards the, the big teams. And we all know for the past God knows how long football's been around and referees have been involved in the game at the top level, they are always biased towards the big teams. Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton to even some respect because they're a big historic team. The bias is always towards the big clubs. Liverpool have had it against them this last week and they don't fucking like it. The amount of decisions they've had in the past few years that have been an absolute disgrace is ridiculous. That's why they've not implemented semi-automatic VAR because all they want is the elitist clubs at the top of the Premier League Everybody else don't get fuck all in terms of decisions and we do what we want. Well, I'm sorry, Liverpool, but this last weekend, it's come back to bite you and I've got no fucking sympathy. Yeah, and Klopp has come out in the news saying replay it. Well, that's the ideal thing that they want off the back of it. And then everyone on social media's, you know, big screenshots of all the incidents over the years where they've benefited from. So, look, teams benefit from it, lose out from it. If you, you can go back over years and, and it's relatively even. But, yeah, the... It, it, it's hard to pinpoint where the issue is for this, really, for me personally, because it's not like that the refs are going to miss offside. That's the whole point of VAR coming in. But I don't understand how VAR, the people working on VAR can go, oh, they've given it, it's fine. And then 30 seconds later be going, oh, shit, they've not given it. Oh, shit, what do we do? We can't do anything. Like, surely you can do something like to just say, lads, stop. That was a goal. You need to go back and kick off. All right, sweet, sorted, and that's it. Like that is literally it that that would have sorted the whole thing. But because it had gone on for thirty seconds and it had been kicked up up the other side of the pitch, and then when um, sorry, they took the free kick and then it ended up out as a throw, and it was too late. Like, come on, come on. It's just pure common sense. It's not. It's not a lack of knowledge because it's not like they saw it and then went, oh no, that's offside, and then didn't give it. They gave it. They saw that it was on side. So I'm not really sure what whether to pinpoint the actual issue here. Like just common sense. It's nothing else. Yeah, I think most definitely the common sense comes into it when they've realised after the fact that essentially what they've said is, yeah, that's fine, no problem at all. The reason they said, yeah, that's fine, no problem at all. We're not going to overturn it is because they thought the decision on the pitch was onside. Yeah, they didn't that's what I mean. It was offside, and and that's the problem. That's where it all stems from. Is that you've got people making these decisions, and and while I don't want robots and AI to take over the world because that'd be very bad for all of us, but. There's the semi-automatic VAR situation that works because it works in the Champions League. It works in international tournaments. We've seen it work on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, when Man United got that goal against Galatasaray. Straight away, VAR, offside. Hoyland, ah, what can you do? It's offside. I understand that. So it worked perfectly. Newcastle game last night. Exactly. Three or four inches. Perfect every single time. Whilever you've got humans involved in the decision-making process, there will always be room for human error. And that's all it was. And again, the reason that this happened, and you can blame me, blame fucking Dawson, blame fucking Ag, Klopp can blame anybody, right? And he only normally does, to be fair to him. He normally blames fucking grass being too long or wind being too too high, that, that fella does. But ultimately, in the end, the reason that this has happened is because the Premier League doesn't have a, have a semi-automatic VAR, okay? And the second reason that this has happened is because for some reason, fuck knows why, we can't pull a game back 30 seconds after the keepers kicked it out these are the two issues from that particular instance that need to be changed. But I tell you now, we, we can't see who's voted for what in the Premier League, but I fucking bet you that Liverpool were one of those clubs that voted against semi-automatic VAR so they could get some decisions. I bet you. 
Very interesting. I'm just getting up this statement now um, that was released after the game. PGMOL acknowledge a significant human error during Tottenham versus Liverpool. Um, hang on, I'm reading a fucking parody one there. I don't want that, do we? <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you're not reading? Are you, Paddy Power. Are you, are you yeah, sure that's what it reading? was, yeah. Are you not sure you're not reading the proper one? Because it looks like it's a parody when you read no. it. No, yeah, true, to be fair. But no, I caught it just in time. Uh, PGMOL acknowledge a significant human error occurred during the first half of Tottenham Hotspur versus Liverpool. The goal by Luis Diaz was, Diaz was disallowed for offside by the on-field team of match officials. This was a clear and obvious factual error and should have resulted in the goal being awarded through VAR intervention. However, the VAR failed to intervene. PGMOL will conduct a full review into the circumstances which led to the error. PGMOL will immediately be contacting Liverpool at the conclusion of the fixture to acknowledge the error. So they've released the statement. They've then a couple of days later released the audio. Um, it's also been announced that the referee in charge of that game will not be refing. Um, oh, sorry, the person the person that was in charge of the VAR will not be uh, officiating a Liverpool game for the rest of the season. So that's pretty much it. So if we're talking consequences. Because that's what it is. We always argue with Aggie that there's nothing wrong with VAR as a concept. It's the people that are sat running it and looking at it. So, Sam, I'll come to you, really. What what should the punishment be? What should the consequences be of this? Because this is not the first time that there's been an issue. This is not the first time that a statement has had to come out off the back of an issue as well. I think it's really difficult to, to put a punishment on it. What they've done is the correct course of action, I think, by removing him from all Liverpool games. But then all they're doing is just, it's clearly incompetent, whoever it is. And, they, and all they're doing is just shifting him onto another team and letting him deal with, with another set of potential failures. So um, I think any kind of mistake that goes to that length, because I don't even think it's classed as a mistake that at this point. I think it was just pure negligence and yeah, and yeah. They... in terms of the decision he got it right it was just that not realizing that they've yeah. given it on the pitch to say it's a goal yeah well they need more training then don't they it's as simple as that they need they need re, re, maybe re-putting through the training course like they did uh you know to, to take that var course originally so but like, like kemp's already said the fact that they've all voted against um auto, automated automated offsides it just it, just, it scratches your head it, it's, th- it's not all it's it's the majority of the 20 so tw- yeah. more than 12 out of the 20 will have voted against it oh, but so they've op- so essentially cuz i didn't realize that you see that that's new to me so so they essentially opted for the line placement where where they're fucking about having to put lines on they, the last. They opted. They didn't opt. They didn't opt for that. I don't believe. All I know is they opt. They opted against semi-automatic VAR, which means they opted against the system that's in the Champions League, the World Cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So what that means is that then that will go to the people at Stockley Park who will then draw the lines and then make that decision. And again, while ever you've got humans making that decision, there will always be room for human error. Yeah, no, you can't can't say it better than that. I, I can't get my head around why they would, why they would like, like you say whether it's it is that biasness and they're just looking to get nick a decision here and there. That that could well be it. That could be a bit of a conspiracy that you, you you're onto. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really poor. Um, I know you said you don't feel for Liverpool. I, I can't quite. I kind of do. I think it's that bad that if it if it happened to my team, I would be fucking absolutely fuming. And yeah, and but it's, our teams, it, but our teams haven't historically got what they've got. No, no, they aren't. Do you think that's influenced Kemp as well very, very quickly about you? You shared the video earlier and I'd seen it of the interview a few years ago where basically someone was saying to Van Dyke in a post-match interview, do you think that this other yeah. team they were playing and it was like, who cares? And and that's it. Like, you can't, you can't be like, I don't give a shit because we can't be like, who cares when one person? Yeah, that's it. Absolutely yeah. right. Absolutely right. 
you're spot on. And again, it's not the technology. This proves more than ever that it's not the technology. The Champions League and the World Cup, and let's say the Champions League and leave the World Cup and all the international shit out of it. The Champions League midweek has proven that technology works, right? That flies in the face of anybody saying that VAR doesn't work. If, you don't, if you're saying VAR don't work, no offence, Ag, you need to get your head a check, right? That proves that it works. What doesn't work is the implementation by our officials of the VAR. So for me, tomorrow, get semi-automatic VAR in, and as many decisions as you can take away from the inc- incompetent referees we've got, the better. Because some of the refereeing so far this season has been a fucking shit show. And at this point, we we said when it started in the World Cup, oh, that's really brilliant. We we said during the first season of being used in the Champions League, oh, it's working really well. Again, we mentioned the Newcastle game, which we're going to get onto very shortly, how well it worked with the Dan Byrne goal. It, you know, they took a little bit of time to check it, but it was absolutely perfect. And then they show the graphics of the offside and and instantly you can see, oh yeah, brilliant! You can tell why it was offside or not offside. Premier League is the richest league in the world by a mile with the TV rights and all the money they bring in. They, they, for me, they've not got any excuse to not be implementing this technology that is working in other areas and, and other other competitions. But something's got to change because at this point, we're, we're not talking about the technology itself anymore. We're, we're talking about the people that are supposed to be there to correct mistakes and they're not. And it looks worse because they're there to correct mistakes. And like I said, they're not. But uh, anyway, we'll move on. And we'll move on to uh, Champions League this week. Sam, I'm going to come to you first. I know you watched the game. We were commenting on it throughout the game. 52,000 people packed in to uh, St. James's Park in Newcastle for uh, Newcastle's first home Champions League fixture in about 20 years. Um, hosting PSG, one of the top clubs in the world. The team that they were probably wincing at the most when they got drawn against uh, earlier this year. And they ran out 4-1 winners. Goals from uh, Miguel Almiron, Dan Byrne in the first half. Gave them a 2-0 lead at half-time. And then second half goals by Sean Langstaff and Fabian Shaw. An absolute screamer from that central defender. Mm. Either side of a, uh, a Hernandez consolation goal. Mbappe was nowhere to be seen. He might have not played. But yeah, Newcastle 4, PSG 1. Just a, a, a raucous, white-hot crowd all night. They were well up for it. What a result and, and what a game of football, Sam. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's first, uh, I think one of the first Champions League games I've actually watched this season and um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. As soon as that Champions League music hit, before before the game started, the crowd were up, chanting away and that. And it was just, I got uh, got goosebumps halfway through watching that. It was an absolute spectacle. Um, unreal performance. Like you say, Mbappe, nowhere to be seen. Um, it's just... Um, Oh, sorry, Ags, I've just seen Ags just dropped something in chat. Sorry about that. I'm possibly then. Uh, yeah, what a night. Sorry, I'm uh, a bit distracted there. Um, you're going to have to take over skin because I've completely forgot what I was going to say. Newcastle, mate. Mbappe went missing. Have, have we got you? Have we got you? You're coming back. No, no, but yeah, I'll 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 crack on them. Well done, Aggie. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just a phenomenal performance. Uh, I had it down as one-one. PSG aren't the same team that they have been over the years, and they are struggling a little bit this season. Of course, they've lost Messi, they've lost Neymar. Newcastle were always going to be right up for it. We know how uh, how passionate their fans are. So having that home field advantage, as they say in the NFL. I fancied a 1-1 draw, but I, I can't see many people predicting a 4-1 win for Newcastle no. last night. I'll tell you what I was, um, was going to say. I don't apologise for jumping in there. Group of death. Go for it. 
Group of death. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. Every, everyone winced when uh, when Newcastle got the got the short straw. They were the fourth team to be to be added to it. We could see it was already going to be PSG, AC Milan, Dortmund. You're thinking, bloody hell, whoever's getting that fourth spot so in for a good hiding week in week out in Champions League, and lo and behold, the top at group after two games. So, yeah, what a what a start for the Champions League for Newcastle. Not played a Champions League game in 20 years. And uh, and yeah, all of a sudden they've got four points unbeaten. Went went to Milan, got a point. They always say if you can draw your away games and win your own games, you're laughing in your Champions League. And and there we go. And I don't think anybody quite seen uh, a P- PSG getting a hiding like that. And yeah, unbelievable result for Newcastle and, uh, and English football. I'd like to add. Yeah, definitely. I saw quite a few people on on social media during and after the game saying, you know, it was blood money and it was PSG being in a similar ownership. But if you you Look, we can spend all day getting into the politics of it, and we have done in the past, but we've got to look at this as 22 players on the pitch plus the subs that come on. And a lot of those Newcastle players were there before this upturn in form. Um, you know, local lads like Dan Byrne and, and Longstaff, who both managed to score. I, I was watching the post-match coverage Romantic, and the interviews and stuff. No, just absolutely brilliant. And, yeah, just... It, it, I tell you what, it would have been a, it would have been an experience to be in that ground last night as, as a part of that crowd, absolutely phenomenal. But Ken, any comments? I, I gave the bold, bold prediction at the start of the season that I thought Newcastle might drop out of the top eight, um, considering this Champions League and, like you said, Sam, the group of death and and squad depth and potential injuries might catch up to them. But after a fantastic start, that five one win against Aston Villa, they did drop off. We, we previewed the game against Brentford a couple of weeks ago, talking about the form, but they beat Brentford. They then battered Sheffield United. They played very well in the game against Burnley at the weekend, which I watched as well. And then, of course, the, the result last night. They're riding a wave of, of momentum at the moment and confidence. You see, again, the game against Burnley, tackles going in early on and, and players literally pumping up the crowd and the crowd going mad. And you saw it again last night. For a team like Newcastle, again, who on paper haven't got the greatest squad and are going to bring in players over the next few seasons to really get to where they want to be. But what do you think for, for where they're at the minute, the squad they've got? Do you think that that momentum will die off as the game starts to come thick and fast? Or do you think that with how they set up, with how they coach, with how they manage, with the passion and the and the confidence they got behind them, that, that, that this is a really good foundation for them through the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all riding away from recent results. There's no getting away from that. But let's not ignore the fact that they got pretty convincingly beaten against Brighton, uh, got pretty convincingly beaten against City. I know it was only 1-0, but they barely touched the ball. Um, and then they lost against Liverpool and they switched off in the last minute and lost 2-1. So, yes, they did get those emphatic victories, uh, but they've also had some disappointing defeats so far this season as well. Again, yes, they are riding the wave. Uh, they absolutely smashed us off the park. They made me leave at 35 minutes, which I've never done at Bramall Lane and possibly never will again, but but there you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the concern from most of us was the, the, the fixture congestion and how they're going to get on down the stretch. And at this point in time, it's a little bit early to see how they will potentially do that. Again, beat PSG last night. Arguably a weaker PS, weaker PSG side than we used to see him, but that's up for debate. Uh, but yeah, listen, take nothing away from them; they did really, really well. Um, the, the crowd got behind them, the atmosphere was unbelievable, and they they absolutely uh, they, they played PSG off the park, which is unbelievable for them. But again, I think the concern was the main concern was is that down the stretch they might struggle, and uh, and that's unless we've got a crystal ball, that's something that we've not uh, we've not quite seen yet. So, really good momentum, and I hope they keep it up for the sake of their fans. But uh, yeah, early days. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and on to our next subject, it's something that I've added in last minute and it, because today has been the latest England squad announcement. And Aggie, I'm going to come to you for this one, mate, to start us off on this. Uh, the big news being that uh, Jared Bowen of West Ham has been brought in, as well as Ollie Watkins, a, a striker that you're a big fan of and was a popular choice for you when we were doing our lot scores and wildcards last year. Two players that have been brought in. Um, probably the biggest omission, which was probably the biggest omission last month when they had a couple of games, is James Ward-Prowse. Yet again, doesn't make the squad despite his fine start to the campaign um, with West Ham. Players, again, like Harry Maguire, Calvin Phillips and Jordan Henderson are still in the squad as well. What do you think about the latest England squad announcement and does it really change your opinion of the, what the future holds short-term for the England national team? Uh, does it change my opinion? No, I know I made the joke of it's coming home, but I always do that anyway. When Ollie Watkins and Eddie Nketiah was uh, brought up to the England squad. And Nketiah, I'll leave to one side because he's somebody that I briefly mentioned when Jesus was out injured last season and felt that maybe he could have contributed a little bit more. This season, he seems to have picked up his game ever so slightly. I still don't think he's the out-and-out striker that Arsenal need. As for Ollie Watkins... I'm so pleased that he's managed to get called up. Um, I think he's very much worthy of it. His performances since Unai Emery's taken over at Aston Villa have been different level. I think he's one of the reasons why Aston Villa have been performing as highly as they have. The way in which he's adapted his approach and his style of play to that of Unai Emery's style. He's even said in interviews before that he doesn't feel that he'd be playing to this level if he didn't have Emery guiding him through that. You know, he's given him that sort of man management to help him improve his game as well. So I think he's very deserving of it. And of course, you get a hat trick when Gareth Southgate's in the stand watching. It's never going to go amiss, is it? So that, that's great for him to see. As for the omission of James Ward Prowse, I can't seem to get my head around that one. Uh, I think he's one of the best players that we've got that doesn't seem to get called up for England and I can't seem to understand why he's a set piece taker something that we need quite strongly he's reliable in the middle of the park something we we need especially when you're looking at the likes of uh, Jordan Henderson being called up that's no disrespect to Rice or to Bellingham who of course going to be the starters but I think having a bit more ability and depth as opposed to experience, especially in these kind of games, wouldn't go amiss. And all right, you might call up Henderson, Pickford, Maguire, you know, players like that that aren't playing for their club because you need experience within the side. You know, do we really need that for a friendly and a, a European game? And, you know, we don't. We don't need Maguires or Hendersons that aren't playing for the club in this squad. So why not give Ward-Prowse that chance to get a bit more international minutes under his belt, ready for when we go to a tournament? And we might be reliant on him. Yeah, but how long, how long can we keep saying this about, oh, we need to bring him along for experience? Southgate's been the England manager now since about, what, 2017, 2018? Um, it's, you know, a good five five or six years, five years now that these similar group of players have been yeah. selected, your Rashford, your, your Harry Kane. Kane, I mean, he's, he's one of the biggest leaders we've got. We don't need to be bringing players along just because they're good locker room guys and good, good I mean, that's an NFL term, but, good, you know, good, good, good lads in changing room or, you know, just a leader. What's that for? And like you say, it's it's a friendly against Australia. And I know it's obviously a big tie against Italy that we've got coming up. But for me, Jordan Henderson is an absolute waste of a pick there in centre mid when we've got the likes of James Ward-Prowse in midfield. Is is gambled on um, on Calvin Phillips being in there. And I don't I sound quite hypocritical on that, but he's played for England quite well the last two times he has been selected. Don't get me wrong, he shouldn't really be there on, on basis of club form, but I don't mind him. It's because he's young as well. So, you know, he's still got that upside to him, whereas he's at the end of his career, Maguire, uh, well, Maguire as well, but 
Henderson's at the end of his career. I just don't see the the plus side in bringing him along. Whereas with with Phillips, I kind of get that because, like I say, he's still quite young and does have that upside to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's the same conversation we have every time an England squad's announced, isn't it? There's the same couple of three or four players that get get automatic passes into the team. We ne- we, ne- we never quite know why, and uh, and there we are again discussing the same thing. Every single time. And yeah, like you mentioned there, Sam, it's a friendly against Australia next Friday and then the European qualifying game, the European Championship qualifying game um, against Italy on the 45th Tuesday after that. So uh, we'll preview the, the games themselves next week. Uh, and Kemp, we'll, we'll save your thoughts uh, for episode 72, of which I'm sure they've not changed whatsoever with this latest squad announcement, but you could surprise them. Uh, Sam, very quickly, actually, you mentioned a bold prediction. We were talking about Harry Maguire being in the squad, other defenders that are playing very well at the moment. Um, just uh, put on record what your prediction was regarding Harry Maguire and his potential playtime in the in the next couple of games. Harry Maguire, you've you've lost me, mate. My brain's not it's working. Your predict- at full, it's your- my brain's not working right. at full function today. You're gonna have to help me along. I, I can't remember that. You've you've dropped me on spot there. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Sorry, mate. Let me. Uh, let I did me a bold prediction about Harry Maguire, did I? I'm, I'm yeah, sure. Oh, sorry. You didn't start. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Of course I did. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I, I all I'm saying is I've got a funny feeling that he's not going to be starting free in either game. Um, I think the Australia one's a perfect chance, because especially with me in the first game, perfect chance to experiment. I'm hoping to see a bit of Tamara in there, a bit of Gay in there. Um, um, he played very well. Dunk as well. Dunk, Cole Dunk. Like, there's no reason at this point to have Maguire in the squad, is yeah. there? Yeah. Dunk, Dunk for me was absolutely outstanding in the last couple of internationals. So I'm hoping he gets the start alongside. I don't know if Stone's, is Stone's part of the squad, is he? Or is he's he still back. injured? He's back. He's back. No, he's back. So yeah, Stones and Dunk for me would be the, the first pair. That probably be in the Italy game because that's probably a starting pair, I think. And then maybe in the Australia game, I'm looking to see some guy and Tamori maybe. So, It'd yeah, be nice I, to have a, a pretty much full rotation, like yeah. even like a Ramsdale starting in goal. Like. Yeah, there's there's no reason to be starting your full strength against Australia when Italy's just right corner. So, yeah, um, for me, next Friday is a bit of a, an experimental game. So I'm hoping to see a bit of a, a bit of a change up. Kemp shaking his head, he's absolutely having none of it. I love it. No, I love it. I love it. I completely agree with you. I think I think this is exactly what they should do. But lads, you're living in Cloud Cuckoo Land. I know. Not, I know. You know what? He's not say, 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 can't help it. <laughs> Can't help it, can I? There's a tournament coming up next year. You can't help but get excited. And I can't wait. That's your jab. That's your jab. What's he going to do? What, is it he's going to, in these meaningless games, he's just going to drop Maguire all of a sudden? You know what Uh, he's going to do? You're right, again, you're, you are right, but the reason why I've said this now, and I've never really said this before, is because we've got the experience of what went before, didn't we? Maguire against Scotland, he was fucking hammered. It was absolutely hammered. And, and, and scored and, the own goal. And scored the own goal, and obviously Southgate come out afterwards with that ridiculous interview saying it's disgusting, Harry's been treated, and we all, all said collectively, it's your fault, Southgate, you've put him in to fail. So I, I can't see, the only way around it is, I think is it might try and phase him out from this point onwards. If he didn't select him now, altogether, I think that's a huge statement. But I think if he brings him along into the squad and maybe don't start him and then maybe in the next squad after that, he don't pick him at all. I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of spitballing, but that's in my that's my theory of what's potentially going very to happen. Ambitious. It's ambitious. Very, very ambitious. Ambitious and, very. ambitious and maybe 
false hope. But that, that, <laughs> I think I think so. Well, I that, think so. But... No, probably so. Probably so. But that's what I, that's the logic I kind yeah. of see that it, maybe Fair he's enough. doing it for that reason and he's kind of trying to phase him out. But like I say, if, you know, you never know. He'd probably start against Australia next Friday and all. Whatever I'm saying here is just absolute bullshit. So you don't know. No, no, no. What you're saying is not bullshit. What you're saying is sense. What that fucking idiot does is bullshit. And that's the difference. True enough. So that is in the future, as well as what has been in the past being the England squad announcement today. And we are going to move on. Before we get to England and the international break next weekend, we have got the subject of this weekend. And the headline matches Arsenal against Manchester City. Last year's top two teams that went point for point pretty much right until the very end before Arsenal fell off and City took the title. Aggie, I'm going to come to you for this one because we're going to preview that game on Sunday, half past four. You love a super Sunday. You love running a bath, getting <laughs> yourself in there and watching the seven hours of coverage um, in boiling hot water and ended it in freezing cold because you've just sat there weird. But anyway, we'll move <laughs> on. <laughs> so Arsenal versus Manchester City. And before we get into sort of your actual thoughts on the game, a subject that I wanted to bring up, and that is the... Uh, the, the current goalkeeping battle and change from Arteta between um, Aaron Ramsdale and David Rea, the uh, summer signing from Brentford. Rea has now started the last five games, if you take out an EFL Cup game against Brentford, which Bram, uh, Ramsdale started. The last five games, other than that, including two Champions League games and three Premier League games, David Rea has started. So it does seem like Mikel Arteta has potentially moved away from Aaron Ramsdale as his number one choice, despite his phenomenal performance last season, despite him starting the season as number one, despite the last uh, last game that he started being a Premier League game against Manchester United, which they won 3-1. So it's not like it was off the back of mistakes and losses. Uh, you know, they've started the season very well. So with David Rea all of a sudden seemingly being Mikel Arteta's number one choice, I suppose it's a two-part question. One, do you think it's warranted that he's made that change or, or why do you think he's made that change? And 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 two, do you think that that's fair on Ramsdale considering what he did last season and the fact that they had had a good start up to that point? Um, I'm going to just play down the old Raya starting, uh, sorry, Ramsdale starting in the cup instead of Raya because it was against Brentford and in the cup and I think they were he was cup-tied, wasn't he? He wasn't able to play in that game. Yeah, that's fair point. So yeah, we'll team. completely ignore that. Because um, obviously he's only on loan. So thinking about him and Ramsdale in a comparison, which one's going to get the position? For me, I've heard loads of rumours that Ramsdale's been told he needs to seek a move away from the Emirates to pursue his career further. Rayo himself is much better at distributing the ball. A couple of errors that Ramsdale made last year was costly. Um, and maybe Arteta's looking at, you know, that's the reason why we weren't as close to City and we didn't see it over the line when we were eight to 12 points clear at the time. So he's moved on to a guy that can now distribute the ball. Ramsdale's a good shot stopper. Ray is a good shot stopper. Both command their area very well. So the only thing for me is Arsenal like to play out from the back, as do a lot of sides now. And at that point, Ray is your better option. So for me, I think he's gone in that direction thinking the only thing we're missing is being able to build up from the back. Let's get a goalkeeper that can contribute to that. David Ray is the option. Ramsdale, you know... We've got the option now to move him on. He's still been performing well, like you said. So there's going to be teams sniffing around thinking we're looking for a goalkeeper that can play well. It's not like they've let him finish off his career, you know, play poorly and people be like, well, you know, he's, he's had a bad time. He's finished in quite good form. So there's going to be some sides that could still look around and they could get a good fee for him. 
And, and yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one because again, like you said, it's not like he's aging and and they've sort of passed the torch. It's not like he's been playing terribly, so they've had to bring in this very very good number two that they've brought in over the summer. He's still playing really well. So in terms of where he could potentially go, I'm not sure because with how good he is, I, I can't see him sat on the bench. But also, what kind of fee could he potentially get as well? Like you look in the Premier League. Those top teams, Chelsea have brought in a, a new keeper this summer. Manchester United have, despite like, let's not get into Onana's start to the season. Liverpool have got Allison. City have got Edison. Um, Vicario, I think his name is at Spurs, has been fantastic so far this season. You look at abroad, you know, your Madrid's have got Courtois, who granted is injured, but he comes back next season. He's going to be their number one. You you look around Europe's top clubs. I'm I'm not really sure where he goes. So, uh, Ken, what what are your thoughts on this? Because again, Ramsdale. One of their best players last season, fantastic. <clears throat> Started the season well. Mikel Arteta hasn't really come out in the press and said why he's made that change, but he has. What What are your thoughts on it, and, and what do you think the the future could potentially hold for Aaron Ramsdale? Yeah, I mean it's a difficult one. I think it's alien to a lot of um, clubs, especially in the Premier League, to to have two keepers at that sort of level. I think it, quite often we used to having a clear number one and a clear number two. I think Arteta's trying something a little bit different in the sense that, no, this is a competition for places. You know, you're not going to get in just because you're the clear number one and that's it. So in that respect, I think it's it's quite wise from Arteta because he has got two, two top quality goalkeepers that he can choose from. Problem with that is that, in my opinion, they should work hard, they should suck it up, and if they deserve to be number one, they'll be number one. But the problem is, in the Premier League and the way that the Premier League players' attitudes are these days, shall we say, they're not going to stand for it. If Ramsdale believes, it's, if it's his truth that he thinks he should be number one goalkeeper, um, then he'll, he'll chuck his toys out and he won't he won't turn up. I mean, for us, Sheffield United, he, he refused to turn up for training when the Arsenal move was on. So it's a difficult one. I think if it works out, I think it's good for, for Arteta because it means he has got that ability to rotate. And if one of them, God forbid, does get injured, then he has got that cover. Um, but I don't think players these days have got that mindset to to dig in and say, right, OK, I'm going to fight for my place, uh, like maybe keepers in the past would have potentially had. So it's interesting. We'll see. I think going forward, Ramsdale will probably throw his toys out the pram that they've brought Ray in long term uh, and probably force a move elsewhere. But again, where does he go? City's not going to go there. United not going to go there. Liverpool not going to go there. Um Spurs, I mean, that new keeper for Spurs looks pretty good as well, so he's not going to go there. So that's, you know, the top six are out. Pope for Newcastle has been fantastic. So that's maybe like even, even that right away, one, so, no. the top side in the Premier League, maybe Brighton with Sanchez moving to Chelsea. But again, that's a, that's a mate. And then not, not even it's that. not Brighton business, that though, is it? Just, that, yeah, that, exactly, that's not Brighton exactly. business, is it? I mean, how much, how much is Ramsdale going to be worth on the market at the minute? You'd say exactly. at least 50 mil. And and Brighton aren't gonna. That's not what Brighton do. They're not gonna go out yeah. and spend fifty mil on Ramsdale. What they're gonna do is they're gonna find a, a South American lad for five hundred k, and he's gonna be better than Ramsdale. And then they'll sell and then him to Chelsea. Be... For, and then they'll sell him to <laughs> Chelsea for ninety mil. That's what yeah. Brighton do. So I'm, I'm good. God bless it's, a, it's, it. a, it's a great fucking business, isn't it? Oh, God bless him for it. God bless him for it. Sam, have you got any thoughts on this? Because again, I mean, Kemp summed it up perfectly there. It is slightly unprecedented. I know in in sort of this um, in the summer when they made that signing, they he alluded or hinted at the fact they wanted to take that city approach of having you know two really strong people in each position to allow for that depth and rotation. But again, the change is out of the nowhere. The fact that Ray is now starting every game is out of nowhere, and it does seemingly look like 
he sees him as the number one. So a player of Aaron Ramsdale's calibre and potential value, what are your thoughts on, on what could potentially happen? I don't like it at all. I think goalkeeper is the one position that's different to every other position on, in, in football. I think you want your goalkeeper, you, you want your clear number one. You don't want any disruptions. We know, I mean, all you've got to do is look at United at a minute and look at what the shit Onana's going through. They, they try fucking about with their goalkeepers and massively backfiring at the minute. So for me, I don't like it. I like stability at uh, whoever's wearing number one. Um, Ramsdale's far too good to be to be a backup Um but yeah, I just, I just, I don't agree with the having one keeper for one set of situations and then one keeper for another set and making substitutions as and when you need to. I don't like that at all. Um, I just think you get your number one goalkeeper and then you, you sign a backup who, who knows he's going to be a backup. So there's no, um, you know, there's no mistakes or there's no lack of communication. You, you know, you sign in to be a backup keeper, and, and I think that's that's the move you should do. United have always done things like that where they've signed. I mean, looking. Thinking back to lots of Victor Valdez, and they've had, uh, I think they had Lee Camp at one point as well from um, not Lee, yeah. Lee Grant, sorry, Lee Grant. Sergio Romero was the one, probably the best number yeah, two has ever been. I'd say so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and he knew he was number two, and he had his cup runs, and you were ready for whenever you know the, the hay was injured. And I know I'm using United as an example there, but. Um, yeah, I don't like it at all. I think your goalkeeper, you have to have a clear number one for me. You don't want any any confusion. I get the competition side of it, but you need, you need a number one goalkeeper and, and, and that, there needs to be no mistake in that for me. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be very interesting what the next few weeks and well, I suppose next couple of months hold because if Arteta continues to start Raya as we approach that January transfer window, could they, you know, do the rumours start? But again, like I discussed with Kem, I, I I can't think of a team that I would assume would be at a level that Ramsdale would want to drop down to or could afford to buy him. I, I, I really can't think of anyone. That's across Europe. So, yeah, I, I can't see him being too happy potentially sat on the bench, especially with a uh, major international tournament coming up next year. But anyway, that's football for this week. It is now time for Kempe's comeback corner. Took a bit of, of a uh, sabbatical last week with Kemp in Dublin and uh, is, is right a man in the uh, in the segment Um uh, not here as well. So, lads, we've got Fiori versus Usyk officially announced. Whether it happens or not, we'll wait and see, but it has apparently been announced. Uh, we've got Warrington versus Wood coming up just around the corner in Sheffield this weekend as well. But first of all, I know we're a couple of weeks uh, after it, but give us your thoughts on uh, Joyce versus Zhang too. Yeah, yeah, and welcome back, everybody, to Kempi's Combat Corner. Um, Jilly Zhang... Versus Joe Joyce took place a couple of weeks ago now, well, a week and a half ago now. Uh, would like to have covered it a little bit sooner, but as 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 Dawson mentioned, we were on a little bit of a sabbatical for that week, so we will quickly cover it now. Um, I can't a hundred percent remember what we predicted, uh, but I think it finished before we both predicted that it would finish. Uh, but we we did both predict that Jilly uh, Zhang would uh, would finish Joe Joyce in pretty convincing fashion, and Sam. That he did, mate. That he did. Um, that he did. What an unbelievable performance from Jilly Zhang, and. Uh, what a disappointing and slightly worrying performance from Joe Joyce that, to be fair, we, we could probably see coming. We definitely see him coming. We said exactly, going into the fight, was there anything after the first fight that changed our minds, that thought it warranted a rematch? Absolutely not. It, the, the styles were just completely contrasting. And the, uh, the I'd, I'd actually forgot about the Southpaw issue as well, and, and he just did not deal with that 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 Southpaw at all. Um 
Yeah, I've got a feeling. I think I said about round 11, I think it, I thought it would go the distance and, and Zhang would stop him in 11. And I've got a feeling you said seven. And I, so, like you say, we're, we're both way off. We were way we're, early, we're off. Way we're earlier off. than we thought. We, I think I definitely expected more from Joyce. The fact that it, it activated the rematch, thinking, right, all right, then you've maybe learned some lessons. You, you, you know you deal it out of the way yourself, but you faced it now. Can you go? And uh, is there anything? And after the first round, I thought maybe he's onto something. He kind of kept his distance. He slowed it down. He kept moving to Zhang's left, and he went. He was trying to keep away from his his, his jab. And, and I thought, oh, he's doing something. And then he caught one, and he caught one. And, and his game plan—they would say, "Don't oh, you? Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face." And that and it went clean out the window, and and it was just an absolute carbon copy at first fight. So yeah, it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. Um, it's a career ender for me for Joe Joyce. I can't see him, can't see him coming anyway back now for any kind of any kind of kind of title fight or anything like that. I just think if if he wants to continue as a journeyman from now on, um, but if I'm being honest, I don't think I want to see him in ring anymore. I, I, looking at his face before the fight, I didn't realize how badly it healed from from the the, the original damage that Jango caused in fight one. His his eyes still fucked. It's, it's half closed. He's got scarring all around his nose and eyes. It looks like an old bulldog that's been through mill. It just for me, I think it's time. I, mean, I know he started late in, into the pros. He's had a long amateur career, but started late. For me, it, call it a day, mate. Call it a day. Take, take, your, take your losses. You've earned a bit of money and get out of there because you, know, you, you just can't look after yourself. Yeah, and I get that argument. I also do get the argument in the sense that it would still make decent money if he fought against, let's say, for example, a Derek Chisora. I think he'd make decent money if he fought against Delboy. I think he'd make decent money if he fought against Dillian White. I think that would be a decent fight. And I think that would draw numbers as well and be a decent little payday for him. Again, if I were to see him on potentially the, the main event of a particular card, then would I want to see that? Would I buy into that? Probably not. Um, but let's say he's an, a, a, a co-main event type deal. He's a tasty seen... undercard. He's definitely a tasty yeah. undercard. Yeah, yeah. I think him against Delboy in a co-main event somewhere or something like that. Uh, I still think that'd be. Uh, I still think that'd be fairly entertaining, to be honest with you. Um, but who knows where Joe, Joe Joyce goes from there? What we do know is that um, Shilly Zhang is now the mandatory for I think it's U6 WBA uh, heavyweight championship. So we could well see. Yeah, we could well see in the next sort of eighteen months. Uh, the uh, yeah, there you go. The um, the, the fight between uh, either a Tyson Fury or, or an Alexander Usyk, we could see that against Jetli Zhang, and I think that'd be an interesting fight. I think I, do. I was listening to quite a lot of people talk about it, and I think now after that fight, for me, Jetli Zhang definitely puts himself fourth on that list of heavyweights with Fury, Usyk, Joshua, maybe Wilder, and maybe mm. Zhang. Then fifth, maybe. Where where do you see Zhang? Ranking amongst the heavyweights after that performance against Joe just Joe. just outside the main. You've 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 said the main bunch there. I'm going to put him. Oh, you know what? I can't. I can't against AJ. I'm having trouble measuring him up against AJ. You know, um, I'm looking at you, Fury and you see straight away one and two in no particular order, um, and then like you say, you. I, I kind of want to put him on a on a on a par with maybe Andy Ruiz, maybe. Um, you know, decent decent boxer who can who can punch. Um, either way, regardless of where I put him, I, I'm really looking forward to that. If, if it, that fight does come to a fruition and he, and he does end up fighting U six, so yeah, I think that'd be a really really decent matchup and and yeah, good on him because he's he's definitely deserved it. He's, he's absolutely convincingly beaten Joe Joyce, who was uh, 
you know, a bit of a, despite his age, a bit of an up-and-comer in the British boxing world, and and he's just absolutely put a nail in his coffin there. So, yeah, fair play to Zhang, and uh, looking forward to seeing his next fight. Yeah, it was definitely a really good performance. As you mentioned, Joyce was trying to kind of avoid that that hand that, that had jabbed him up in the first fight. Um, but unfortunately for for him, he, he went he went the other way and uh, and then he caught him with his backhand and, and that's how he finished the fight. So I think Zhili Zhang just showing some really good boxing IQ. Zhili Zhang's record's really, really good. It's 26-1-1 one and, one, and the only defeat was against Hergovic. Um, and it was a really controversial defeat on the Andy Ruiz-Joshua uh, uh, Andy Ruiz, uh, Usyk, Joshua, undercard for the second fight. So, Shilly Zhang's a real fucking contender in this division. Yes, he is getting older, um, but you know what? I'd love to see him um, in a world title fight at some point because I think he'd, he'd give a really good account of himself, if nothing else. Which brings us to, Sam, the announcement. And I say announcement in that kind of sarcastic way because it's Tyson Fury. Um, I roll, I roll emoji. I roll, I roll emoji most definitely. But, but according to Frank Warren and Queensbury Queensbury Promotions, the historic fight between Tyson Fury and, and uh, Alexander Usyk allegedly will take place at some time at the end of this year or beginning of the next year um, in the uh, Riyadh Festival in Saudi Arabia. So Saudi have come in, they've thrown they've thrown money at the situation as they do everything else, uh, and they seem to have potentially fixed it for now. Um, but Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, the, the, the first question I'm going to come to you and ask you, in your mind, in your opinion, does this fight happen? It's once bitten, twice shy, isn't it? I can't, I can't say yeah. I really can't say yeah. The both, no, I'm not saying both. That's unfair on Usyk. Um, Tyson Fury is just a fucker, isn't he? He's a, he's a bit of an head case, and I don't want to sound disrespectfully a mental health and all that. But it, even mental health aside, before he were, you know, dealing with his depression and all that, it, it was still a bit of a nutter. Um, and you just can't really trust what he says and. I know it's this time it's been signed and we've got it on paper, but so fucking what? Who's to say that? I think someone put it in the chat of the week or someone's put it online that who's to say that if fights in Garnu soon, oh, he picks up a bit of an injury and all of a sudden he can't fight in December or, or and it's going to have to push back until April, May next year. And then all of a sudden, Usyk can't make that deadline because he's got a mandatory to fight. And all of a sudden, it just gets pushed further and further back. You're thinking, mm. so until I see that stood there, Michael Buffer in the ring, and the they're about to do the ring walk. I will not believe it until I until I see that. So for me, yeah. I'm going to say no. I don't think it'll happen and, until it does happen. What about you? Exactly the same. And and a lot of boxing pundits, promoters, everybody on Talksport, everybody online, they're all buying into the fact that it's happening. And I just sort of sit there and think, do you have you not learned anything from I'm not been paying attention? Have they? they in the last attention. two years, have you not heard? Have you not? Have you not noticed anything or, or, or nothing at all? You know the, the Fury Joshua fights that that were going to happen and never happened. The Fury Usyk fight that was going to happen then didn't happen. And then Fury Joshua fights, Wilder that's no longer Joshua looked like Wilder, that's, that's never going to happen. So yeah, and then and then Fury fighting against Francis Ngannou. You know Francis Ngannou, former UFC heavyweight champion of the world, obviously close to my heart, but. Jesus fucking Christ. He's never had a boxing match in his life. So, yeah, um, I can exactly see that scenario coming to fruition, Sam. You've, you've fucking nailed it, mate, in the sense that Fury fights in Garnu. You know, he lays in Garnu out, which he'll definitely do, 100%. 
Um, he's got a tight hamstring. He's pulled his quad. He's he's done something. He's broke his hand. He's done something, right? And then, oh, I can't fight in Riyadh season. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to do it at the end of next summer because we can't do it in the summer because it'll be Ramadan. So we can't do it then. So we'll have to do it at the end of next summer. So Usyk, 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 your gappy teeth. Get get yourself sorted out for the end of next summer. And Usyk will say, well, now I'm a fighting champion, which he is. Yeah. We can all agree. I think. Yeah. Anybody with a brain cell that's not got. That's, that doesn't that, that doesn't care about losing Tyson Fury coming on their show and he's scared of him. Anybody that's independent like we are at Loaded Sport can objectively say that Usyk is always fucking game for anything, right? Yeah. Even accepted thirty percent of the split when he's got more belts than Fury, right? To make it fucking happen first time, right? Um, I think we can agree that he'll say, "Well, now I'm not waiting. I'm going to fight against Zhang for my mandatory." And then, you know, if we can make it happen, we'll make it happen. And then we'll just keep doing this fucking dance. Fiori will want it. Come on, gappy teeth. I'm ready. And at next minute, something will happen and he'll pull out. And again, Fiori's a pull-out merchant. It's not just with, oh, I've got, I've got this, I've got that. But it's with injuries. It's with, again, suffer mental health myself. I get it completely. But he has pulled out of fights before. And the, the reasons have been weird sometimes. So... I don't believe it until I see it. Frank Warren's fucking full of shit. We've established that in the past. It's signed, it's signed, it's signed. Then why have we not got a fucking date, Frank? Do you know what I mean? So mm. it's still it's still too wishy-washy for me. I, I don't believe it until I see it, Sam. So yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll just have to fucking see if it happens. But... Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I learned this by watching the actual Fury documentary. Correct me if I'm wrong. A big fighter like Fury's your AJ's your Usyk. On, on a situation like this where where these two fighters agreeing to fight each other, you, you book the venue first, don't you? You get the you, you get normally get the fight date first, and then you 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 find the the fighter after that comes secondary. Depends. You, it depends who it is. It depends who it is. I mean, Floyd Mayweather historically used to because he was the big money ticket. What Floyd used to do is he used to get fights organised eight six weeks or eight weeks before they'd happen he'd know who was fighting 10 or 12 weeks before but he'd have a number of opponents that were right reserve yourself for this date floyd might fight you and then floyd did decide who he's fighting they'd only have six weeks to prepare prepare no. Craft, crafty old floyd would have 12 bless him well you know floyd he's taking for what he is but he's a clever bloke uh they'd have the arena booked they'd have the promotion booked. they'd have everything sorted so it, it, it all depends on who's promoting it it depends on the fighters it depends on everything um but the fact that Frank Warren is not providing us with the date, the fact that he's not providing us with specifics is just a little bit for me. Again, that coupled with the fact that Fury is about as reliable as fucking Ag starting a podcast on time. I, I don't believe that it will happen until I see them touch gloves in the middle of the ring. And I just, I can't not, I'm just so skeptical of the, the heavyweight division at the minute. I just can't not. So, um, so I'm not believing it until the start of the ring walk. You're yeah. not even buying it at that point. No. You're waiting till that's no. touching gloves. Fury, yeah, Fury could pull out until the bell goes. Fury <laughs> could pull out. So I'm not believing now. Listen, if we see him, if we see him both turn up at the arena and they start walking, then obviously then we can start getting excited. But up until then, <laughs> mate, I'm really fucking not. I'm really not. But, but one I am getting excited for, mate, is this weekend in Sheffield. It's the uh, Utilita Arena. Shout out! Uh, it's Josh Warrington um, who's taking on Lee Wood in the Battle of Nottingham versus Leeds, and they're meeting in the middle uh, in Sheffield, which is, uh, I think, quite interesting. Uh, but like I say, it's taking place at Utilita Arena this weekend. Um, it's an interesting fight, Sam, for many, many reasons. 
Um, number one is that these two guys are obviously big domestic stars uh, in terms of British fighters. Never crossed paths, never fought each other, even though they're in the same division. They've kind of took different paths to get to where they've got to. But they have got an opponent, a, a, a common opponent in Maurizio Lara. Uh, and that's kind of all we can look at in terms of the actual um, comparisons themselves. So it is taking place this weekend. Like I say, it is on Saturday night. It is at the Utility Arena in Sheffield. I did briefly look at tickets potentially for the uh, for the event, uh, but I am otherwise engaged on that night, unfortunately. Uh, I am in Sheffield, but, but not at the Utility Arena. So, Sam... It's going to be a big domestic fight. Um, it's hopefully going to be a, a big payday for for each of the boys. But yeah, um, Josh Warrington coming off a defeat. Um, Lee Wood coming off a victory against Maurizio Lara. I don't know how much you've looked into this fight and where you can see it going. But have you seen Josh Warrington much? Josh Warrington <laughs> or Lee Wood before? Or no, not at all, mate. Not at all. I'll kind of kind of hoping you'd take this uh, this get this fight because I've I've not I've not uh, not watched no, much of these these. And I know, again, you are a big sort of proponent of the heavyweight fights and you do like a nice heavyweight fight. So the fact that you've not uh, you've not watched um, the featherweight guys before, uh, we're not going to hold that against you here at Combat <laughs> Corner. It's a safe space for all. But yeah, like I say, uh, Maurizio Lara and Josh and uh, Lee Wood had that fight in, uh, in Nottingham last year where Maurizio Lara, after being outboxed for six rounds, did, uh, did TKO uh, Lee Wood in the end. But then he come back. He beat Maurizio Lara by unanimous decision and boxed his fucking face off, which was an uncharacteristic performance by Maurizio Lara. Um, and the reason I say that is because in the past, Maurizio Lara uh, sparked out uh, sparked out Josh Warrington by TKO when Josh Warrington was on a, a winning streak to uh, to end all winning streaks. Um, he then had a rematch with Josh Warrington. He was beating him, but then a cut, unfortunately, ended the fight prematurely um, and he never managed to get that one back. Since then, Josh Warrington hasn't been in unbelievable form. Um, again, he, he, he lost against Maurizio Lara. He was undefeated 30-0 at that point. And then uh, a, 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 a stoppage after Lara got a cut from an accidental class of heads in their second fight. They defeated Kiko Martinez, but Kiko Martinez was kind of always a fight to kind of get him back into that position. And then he lost against Luis Alberto Lopez by uh, majority decision. So... You know, he went 30-0, and 0, and now Josh Warrington's record says 31-2-1. So he's had three fight, four fights there, and three of them, he's, he's not won them for whatever reason. So he's not been in the best run of form, best vein of form. Lee Wood, in my opinion, after that performance against Maurizio Lara, absolutely boxed the pants off him. Nobody had done that to Maurizio Lara, as far as I was concerned, uh, and thoroughly deserved his victory in May. Again, they did fight in May, the 27th of May, and Josh Warrington's last performance, the defeat against Luis Alberto Lopez, was on the 10th of December last year. So he has not fought for pretty much 10 months when it gets to the fact and, and gets to the point where they're in the ring fighting. Again, massive, massive domestic fight. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what the... Suppose what the matchup's going to look like. It is for Lee Woods' WBA featherweight championship, um, and and it's going to be uh, like I say, a very very big domestic fight for me personally. I think Lee Wood will get the job done. I think he'll get the job done by unanimous decision. I think Josh Warrington hasn't quite looked himself since that first defeat against Maurizio Lara, albeit in COVID, albeit in strange times. But again. Um, I don't think Josh Warrington has looked himself and and you do often see when, when undefeated fighters get beat, the wheels do start coming off and the confidence kind of wanes at that point. So it will be very interesting to see how he deals with that. But for me, again, I think Lee Wood will win by unanimous decision and get the job done for Nottingham um, and, and take his WBA featherweight championship back to Nottinghamshire. 
um, down the uh, down the M1. So it's going to be a very interesting weekend of boxing. It was a great weekend of boxing a couple of weeks ago. Um, we've not even mentioned Sam. Uh, Canelo Alvarez beating Jamel Charlo in, in a very, very dominating performance where Charlo Belly even turned up. Um, so that happened this last weekend as well. Uh, it's 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 all over the place here in Kempe's Combat Corner. It's all about the boxing at the moment. But fear not, mixed martial arts fans, because we have got some UFC returning in the not-too-distant future. And, and what a trilogy of events we've got coming up. It's UFC 296 next, I believe. I might be wrong. Um, nope, that's the next one after that. It's UFC 294 next. Uh, it's Islam Makachev against Charles Oliveira, and that's on the 21st of October. Uh, we've then got um, UFC 295, which is John Jones versus Steve Pamiocic and Alexander uh, Alex Pereira versus Yuri Prohaska on the undercard. And then we've got Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington on the 16th of December, the Brit defending his UFC welterweight championship of the world. So we have got some unbelievable MMA coming up towards the back end of the year, but boxing is very much the focus here on Kempis Combat Corner. And obviously we will review it for you all next week, right here on Kempis Combat Corner. Episode 72, baby. Aggie, the first ever Formula One race in Qatar taking place this weekend. Sprint race on Saturday. Max Verstappen needs to finish sixth or above, taking three points minimum to claim his third Drivers' Championship. Talk us through your thoughts on the race on them and at what point it will be pretty much guaranteed that Max will take that crown. I think from about now we can say it's almost guaranteed that Max Verstappen will be taking the crown this weekend. It's something completely different in Qatar, of course, never raced there before, so it opens up what could be for them, like a huge, huge scenario, couldn't it? I think we're about halfway, not not even three quarters of the way through the season and the championship's about to be over. And we've been saying it every week when we've been sat here talking about Formula One in general, about <clears throat> when we talk about Formula One, we talk about how um, the championship's almost done with Max Verstappen. Can't even look at the screen because of you guys, but uh, also because of, you know, with Red Bull, that kind of stuff. So when it comes to um, Red Bull, of course, they won it last weekend, didn't they? they? They've been phenomenal throughout the course of the season. It's heading towards next season to see just what they're going to do, what other teams are going to do to be able to compete with him. And I think Qatar, for a lot of teams, is just going to be a bit of an eye-opener, a different track, you know, try and adjust and prepare your car for next season. It's it's like a free hit to some sides, isn't it? Because, you know, Constructors are already over. I don't see it being that competitive. I think for Red Bull, it's just going to be a case of Max and uh, Checo at the front that are going to be competing together. I don't know what you think on it. We're both racing, so I've got an idea of what the uh, the track's like, of course, on the game. Yeah, I think I've done a lap and a half on it, mate. So uh, it's, it's quite an open track. Um, it, it gave me sort of Portugal vibes um, where, when I went on it. So a couple of sort of tight corners where if you catch it wrong, you're going spinning. So there's definitely opportunities for, for mistakes there. But I'll be honest, I don't know if you agree. I'm, I'm, to be fair, I'm sure you will agree. But knowing that Max only needs to finish sixth or above in a sprint race, um, it's kind of killing my, my any kind of excitement for it because in what in what scenario is he not going to finish in the top six based on what we've seen so far this season, the race at this point is is just completely 
irrelevant because he can win it on the Saturday. So I don't know. Yeah, it does have the potential to be a good race in and of it, it itself. But at this point in the season, you know, you want three, well, I say three, four drivers. Historically, you might get two at this point that are really going toe-to-toe for that Drivers' Championship that the Constructors has already done with Red Bull winning it in the Japan in the last race. And again, Max can win it on the Saturday before the race itself even starts. So, yeah, it's hard for me to get quite excited. Obviously, it's hard to comment on exactly what kind of a race weekend it will be because we haven't seen that track uh, before. But I'm sure with it being in Qatar, they would have taken on quite a bit of money for doing it. So whatever happens, I'm sure they'll be happy as a as a sport and as an organisation. I want to know what your opinion is, <clears throat> sorry, of points being up for grabs in the sprint race. Now, it's it's a new thing that's been brought in over the last couple of seasons where a sprint race will determine who's going to start where for the actual race itself. But they've started offering points out for the sprint race. That means by the time this race starts, Max could already be champion. What are your thoughts on on that side of things? Does it kind of like devalue the actual race itself? Yeah, I can. I mean, I can see why they brought it in to try and I, I don't know engage more people and and inject a bit of excitement into a race race weekend. But surely the clue there is that if you feel like you have to do that, then the focus in doing that should be in the in the race itself. So yeah, I com- I com- I'm I'm completely on board with that point. If they're offering points on the sprint, which then takes away the need to care about a race, a hundred percent. But then also, if they've if they've felt the need to put the sprint in in the first place, surely that highlights that there's an issue with your format that has been the format for what fifty plus years. Yeah, it kind of changes the rhythm of things. To me, it's all about the race. I didn't mind the sprint race, but I'll, I'll tell you something that I think would really throw the track, the drivers, the teams into a bit of Distribute is putting the the drivers that are currently at the back of the championship starting the front of the race. You know, eliminate qualifying already. Maybe put in an extra practice session. Allow teams to you know mess about with the cars a little bit. Try and get something that suits them. Maybe a bit more competitive, but also eliminate the the uh, the qualifying and just start with whoever's at the back of the drivers' championship at the time starts at the front and vice versa. You know, just that sort of thing. So that you know, if Max is leading by however many he's leading by, he's got to work harder for it. It's not just about who's got the best car because you've got to be able to overtake, you've got to have better strategies. There's a lot more that goes into Formula One that people don't get to see because at the moment, and Kemp's right by his comment that he'll not watch Formula One simply because it is whoever has the fastest car wins. If you put them cars at the back, there's a lot more them drivers have got to do than just, oh, I've got the fastest car, so I've won. Yeah, sorry. Um, Yeah, again, just completely agree. And look, it's hard. Like I know we talk about this because we have a bit of a vested interest in it, but I'm just really, really struggling, like I said a moment ago, to have any kind of excitement. But I suppose we'll do what we always do, put it on paper. It is a new race weekend. It is a new race location. It is a track that we've never seen before in Formula 1. It's one that's been built specifically to introduce the uh, F1 into Qatar. So give us your podium spots. Um, and I'm assuming that you're going to say that going into the race on Sunday, Max will already be the uh, latest drivers' champion. Yeah, how can you say that you're struggling to find any sort of enthusiasm or sound excited about it? You're a Red Bull fan. Your driver's about to win the championship. Your constructors have won the championship. How are you still deflated about it? Because it's it's different, isn't it? You watch you watch F1 to see exciting races. So Red Bull fan or not. Like I was a Red Bull fan because when I was watching it and Sebastian Vettel and Mark Webber and all that kind of stuff, they were great to see and there was there was championship battles. But ultimately, you watch a race to see a race. 
and one driver just absolutely dominating and you, you pretty much know 95% before the race starts who's going to win. It's not a race, is it? It's just watching people have a drive around a track, which is what I don't want to watch. I want to watch a race. So uh, there you go. That answers that for you. So for me, I'm going to go with, yes, Max is going to be the champion by the time the race starts on Sunday. I think he's going to win the sprint race. I think he's going to win the actual race. I think it's going to be Checo in third, actually, instead of second. I think he's going to get third because he's going to have to fight valiantly to try and keep his title hopes alive, albeit very narrow chances that he's got of actually winning the Drivers' Championship at the moment. And I'm going to go with now I'm going to go with Lando in second. Let's let's carry the McLaren rhythm going. Uh, I will go with Max to win the race, having already been crowned world champion. I will go with Carlos Sainz second. And I'll go with George Russell in third to uh, make up for the mistake in Singapore just a couple of weeks ago. So uh, no doubt come episode 72 next week, we'll be uh, talking about Max and not sounding very excited about the fact that he is uh, champion yet again. Because, yeah, look, ultimately, I'm an F1 fan before I'm a Red Bull fan. I watched F1 because I wanted to watch races and I just latched on to Red Bull as a team to support and, and follow because of I enjoyed watching them race and what they were doing at the time. But ultimately, Formula One is about racing and, and that's not it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens this weekend. But, Kemp, we didn't preview the Ryder Cup because you weren't here last week with you being in Dublin. So, uh, very quickly, mate, a, a dominant day one for Europe, set them up for what ultimately was a relatively comfortable win, uh, all in all. Uh, Mudge, our a former co-host, was there for the final day, had nothing but phenomenal things to say about it. But as a golf fan, mate, just very quickly give your thoughts on the latest Ryder Cup. Well, yeah, you mentioned it there. I mean, Europe got off to an absolutely unbelievable start. Um, they, they, they were firing on all cylinders on day one. Um, in the end, it ended up being 16 and a half to Europe and 11 and a half uh, to to the USA. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned there, Dawson, um, on day one, it, it looked as though play could be finished and, and Europe could have it completely wrapped up kind of by end of day two, which is unheard of, really. Um, it, it started very, very brightly um, with, again, day, day one Europe pretty much going with a clean sweep. I think it might have been like seven or eight one after day one. Um, the second day, the, the, the Americans started making life a little bit more difficult for Europe. Um, and then third day, Again, even Stevens. So in the end, America did get back a little bit of pride. But listen, at the end of the day, Jesus Christ, it was a an absolute embarrassment for the UFC for the first couple of days. It was a clean sweep, like I say, pretty much on day one. Um, and then towards the back end, USA just left themselves with too much to do. Um, there was a little bit of controversy. Rory McIlroy not quite happy with the uh, the gamesmanship perhaps by the USA team on on the, on one of the greens as well, uh, which always adds a little bit of spice to the Ryder Cup. But listen, if you're a fan, if you're a golf fan in the UK or in Europe and uh, and you watched it, um, you, you were happy after the weekend, you're happy after the Ryder Cup because ultimately, like I say, um, Europe uh, really did get a, a big, big scalp in the 44th Ryder Cup. And again, won by 16.5 to 11.5. Next, we'll be going back to the USA where Europe haven't won it for a very, very, very long time. So we'll just have to see how we get on um, when we go there. But in terms of golf, moving on from now, pretty much brings to an end the golf season in terms of the actual major um, tournaments uh, coming up for the rest of the year. Um, and now the countdown's on, unfortunately, to uh, to April, where we'll be sitting down, uh, getting his feet up and, uh, and watching the Masters again, which is also the big one that will be coming around again. But 
unbelievable Ryder Cup uh, to watch. I, I didn't see all of it, but I saw what I could. I was actually playing golf for a lot of it on the uh, on the Saturday. Um, but but yeah, um, an outstanding uh, outstanding Ryder Cup and uh, fair play to Team Europe for uh, for getting the dominant win. Um, We'll keep an eye on golf for the rest of the year and we'll we'll report when we need to. But the next big golf tournament, as I mentioned, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, is the Masters in April. So uh, we'll tuck golf away a little bit until that point, Dawson. Yes, absolutely, mate. Six months away, unfortunately. Uh, but what can you do? That is just how the uh, the golf season works. But uh, yeah, on to darts now, lads. We Again, uh, another thing that we didn't preview last week with uh, being a bit lower on heads, but uh, the World Grand Prix. Is taking place in Leicester this week with the final due to happen on Sunday evening. And to be honest, it's been pretty much as expected so far. The big names are through you, Michael Smith, you go in prices. They're both through to the quarterfinals. Due to play tonight, Michael Van Gerwen, Peter Wright as well. Um, so as it stands, not really any shocks. It is, of course, one of the only double in, double out tournaments of the weekend. Uh, sorry, of the of the tour, should I say? Um, I've I've watched a few games, and to be honest. I've struggled to enjoy this one a little bit. Like I said, it's took place in Leicester. Uh, and when I've been watching, the crowd has been a little bit dead. So darts is one of those games where the, the crowd investment really makes makes the sport. And one of the reasons that I mentioned it before, I, I stopped watching for a little bit, and that was during the pandemic where they were playing in empty arenas. And even with playing fake fan noise, it just wasn't the same. So yeah, it does look like it, it could go down to the usual suspects in terms of lifting the crowd. The final is on uh, on Sunday, but I know the I know you lads haven't really watched it, so it's it's a bit hard to discuss too much, but I just wanted to put it out there because we are, as Kemp said there, putting golf to bed. We are now bringing in the darts. World Grand Prix is back. We've had, we've had a couple of months off in terms of major tournaments after the Premier League finished in the UK Open, but we're not too far away from World Championship season. And uh, I got Michael Smith last year, so it's time to knuckle down, get the readers on and really take note of who's performing on the TV tournaments and, of course, on the usual tour tournaments as well as we uh, gear up for the World Championship around Christmas time and uh, put out our predictions again. But, yeah, World Grand Prix is taking place at the moment this week, as I mentioned, final to take place on Sunday. And at the moment, no real shock. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll no doubt announce the winner this time next week. And uh, maybe yeah. uh, maybe we might have a new winner from the car. But tonight, Van Gerwen versus Chris Dobie, which uh, should be an absolute belter. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I think this tournament, obviously, you always like to win a tournament as a darts player, as, as a sportsman. You like to get, or a sports person, you like to get a trophy in your cabinet, as it were. Uh, I argue being a Chesterfield fan, mate, you don't know much about that. But yeah, Chesterfield you've got to look. Thank you. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, shut up. Um, you've got to look at this tournament in the sense that you're counting down to, like you said there, Dawson, the World Championships. That's what this tournament for me is all about. We're a couple of months out from the World Championships. And uh, and for me, if I'm if I'm a darts player, if I'm an athlete coming into this kind of type, time of the season, if I don't win it, I'm not going to be fucking devastated. But what I would like to see is, is, is that... That's that fluidness, that solidness, and, and ramping back up now into tournament season, and potentially putting in a really good performance rather than actually focusing on the winning as much. If that makes sense, I think what I'd be doing is, if I was a darts player, is I'd be looking at my checkouts. Obviously, it is double in, double out, so it is a little bit more difficult in that respect. But I'd be looking at my checkouts. I'd be looking at my average scoring, and I'd be I'd be setting myself parameters and benchmarks 
kind of on the uptake on an upward swing coming up to world's world championships because obviously that's the one that, that we all want to win so uh so yeah um it's exciting it's it's ramping up towards the christmas period and uh and yeah a how scary is it that we're nearly at christmas period again but uh hey what can you do what can you do it's um it's uh it's it's dark season and that's uh we've got to take that away so we're uh, looking forward to uh to seeing what we uh what we make of it Absolutely, mate. It's the best time of the year and it, it goes as quickly as it comes, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, can't wait now. The tournaments will start coming thick and fast so we can bring darts back as a regular feature on Loaded Sport. But it is NFL time and very much like me and Aggie leave Kemp and Sam to talk about the latest inboxing. Very much like Kemp and Sam leave me and Aggie to discuss the latest in Formula One. It is now time for me to step away as Aggie leads the chat with Kemp on Seahawks versus Giants from week four of the NFL. So, lads, they are your teams. Aggie, take it away on your thoughts on the result and the performance of the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Giants. Yeah, it was a very big win for us. Very uh, enjoyable to watch. I managed to see through the first half before falling asleep, um, but I think by that point the game was already done. I think the first couple of drives, the Giants, I think on the first drive, actually had a fourth and one with infield goal range and opted to go for it. And then... They just didn't seem like they were getting much going on offence at all. Saquon Barkley as their running back is certainly a big piece that they're missing because Brady couldn't get much going. Dan Jones seemed lost in the pocket. In fact, even when he was getting out of the pocket, he was getting absolutely ruined by a lot of our defensive players. Devin Witherspoon showing up and had the best game he's had in his career, obviously, in the NFL. Set a couple of records as well. So, yeah, I think it's very promising from our side of things. I do have to still keep myself narrow-minded and think, look, it was the Giants. They've not been informed. They've been struggling in a lot of areas. But a win's a win at the end of the day. And we can now go into the bye week at 3-1, and one, which is obviously yeah, much better than it could have been considering the fact that we lost to the Rams in the opening game of the week. On offence, Gino got injured. Drew Locke came in and he didn't look like he'd missed a beat as well. I think he played really well. I think got 180-odd yards during the time before Gino came back. Um, we didn't even use Kenneth Walker that much in the first half. A lot of it was through Zach Charbonnet, DK, Lockett. We all look, just looked in general on form. And I, I think it is a bit worrying from Kemp's perspective. Obviously, he'll tell us more in a minute about from a giant side of things after the promise that they put up getting into the playoffs last year. But from us, I think we're absolutely on point. We just stopped them at every every opportunity they had. And I think in, in areas, they might have helped us look better and been the masters of their own downfall. Um, I don't know, Kemp, have you seen many of the highlights? Uh yeah, I saw the highlights, but it was like it was passive. I think more than anything else, rather than actually um taking much of an interest. As you can appreciate, it was probably very very painful watching for me. But yeah, I get, you hit the nail on the head, and Dawson said it before many many times, and, and so have many people when it comes to sports and and life in general. It's the hope that kills you. And uh, last season, the Giants definitely gave me uh, gave me a lot of hope. Dayball came in, um, tra- transformed the team, transformed, it would seem, Daniel Jones's form. Before that, it was a very, very average, if not quite poor quarterback um, and hadn't adapted to the league and, and hadn't justified us taking him in the first round a few years ago when we did. And, and I was very not happy about it, but <laughs> we'll move on from there. Um, but, but yeah, it, it just seems as though all that good work seems to have been undone. And again, yeah, you mentioned there, Adam, we did have a couple of, uh, big inactives, one being Saquon Barkley, as you mentioned, another one being Andrew Thomas, um, one of our best tackles, but he was the only guy on our, our offensive line that was inactive for the game. And the offensive line, again, like it has been every single game this season, was completely not there, just 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 gone. And and the re- and the way we, we were effective last season, the way that we did as well as we did, is that, you know, 
Jones had time. He was given time by that offensive line and then he would make good decisions. He'd make good passes. He, he didn't actually throw the ball away that many times last season. And the good things with DJ as well is that he can use his legs quite well and he's he's got good pocket presence and he, he can kind of sniff out runs um, when and, and, the, and first downs actually when a lot of people and a lot of other players probably wouldn't be able to see them. But his statistics so far this season and in this last game, Adam, they, they don't suggest that he's the same player he was before he got this contract, which is the worst thing to happen to your NFL team. We wanted to give Daniel Jones the, the franchise tag and we wanted to pay Saquon Barkley last season. Unfortunately, it, it had to be flipped flipped on its head because Saquon Barkley wasn't going to accept that, unfortunately. So we've had to tag Barkley and, and then his status next season is going to be completely up for grabs. And then Daniel Jones, we've offered him a $40 million deal over four years, I believe it is, $160 million, which for the quarterback of crazy. Daniel Jones is caliber, Absolutely crazy. It's, it's fucking crazy. But, you know, again, we've been having this conversation in our charts. As you know, Sam, he showed such improvements last year that surely on that trajectory, if he'd have carried it on the way that he was last year into this season, maybe it wouldn't have been worth it. But would we, would we have been raising our eyebrows as much as we are because he started badly? But last year was the outlier, wasn't it? In 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 his whole yeah. NFL career, in that last year was the outlier. If you 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 play all his years out in the NFL, that sticks out like a sore thumb. That one year, and to pay him on the basis of one year, when when the, you've got a back catalogue that says it plays otherwise, for me, you've 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 already got the evidence in front of you. I'd, granted, I don't think you have much choice. I don't think you have much choice other than. Well, maybe you did. I think you maybe if you could have let him go and, and potentially tanked and, and gone for another one this year, you're not going to be able to do that or, now. Or, no. or that, or that, or we go for a, a free agent in the summer. I think was Garoppolo up for grabs, and yeah, it was a couple, a couple of other names where we could have paid them and potentially paid them either the same or maybe a tiny bit more than DJ on a shorter term deal. But <sighs> carry on, sorry. No, just no, that that, that was pretty much it. I'm just just spitballing. I did uh, see. I was watching Good Morning Football earlier, and. Um, I, th- I think it was um, one of the one of the lads brought up a very good point. Um, the coach NFL Coach of the Year award. It's a little bit of a poison chalice at the minute, and uh, obviously Brian Dayball is the current holder of the of the Coach of the Year from from twenty twenty two season. And then they listed up the names of of the previous you know couple of winners in there, and it's just it just shows winning that award. It's not the best thing because you, you, if you're going to win that award, you'll come into a bad situation, really, and you, you're expected to turn it around. Ryan Dable won it last year. Vrabel won it the year before. Vrabel's turned out to be a decent coach, but the Titans are pretty wishy-washy. Kevin Stefanski with the Browns the year before that. John Harbour with the Ravens haven't done anything since then. And then Matt Nagy before then with the Chicago Bears. So it just it's just shit after shit when you look look down that list. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean McVay is the one after, before then, 2017. Sean McVay, and obviously he's now got a Super Bowl ring. So he's pretty much the only one out of all that lot that can, uh, you know, hold his head high. I mean, they did go all in that season. But yeah, Coach of the Year, which yeah. is an interesting thing that I've seen, that, that Brian Dable's now the current Coach of the Year and and he's having the same struggles that everyone else seems to be having when they win that award. Yeah, it seems strange that that, that is the case. But, you know, we, we can blame the we can blame the offence, we can blame Daniel Jones, we can blame the offensive line, and we definitely need to blame all of those guys because they're not performing to the level that they certainly did last season. Even when Saquon Barkley was fit and firing, it, it, didn't, it doesn't look the same. It just, something seems off. And it's really, really strange, and I can't put my finger on it. I mean, two fumbles this last weekend for DJ, two interceptions, no touchdowns as usual for him this so far this season. But... The problems go a lot deeper than that. We we put we conceded forty points against the Dallas Cowboys, twenty eight points against the Cardinals. Who they've got 
Dobbs as their quarterback. He was a fucking career backup. He was on some practice squads until recently. Well, he, but he did beat Dallas. Points up against us. And that's that's the crazy thing about the NFL. But, you know, 28 points against him when when in the first week, in week one, he, he didn't really do much. 24 points that were conceded against the Seahawks, you know, in, in the last game, 30 points against San Francisco 49ers. We've conceded a lot of points and we're not putting up points. And that's just fucking disastrous for any NFL team. So I don't want to get, I don't want to get too scared and too worried after four games, but it's very difficult not to because we look really, really poor. The offensive line looks terrible, non-existent. DJ's not making good decisions. But Barkley's not looking good and it's his last year and then he's going to be free as a bird because we're probably not going to be able to pay him what he wants. The defence looks like shambles. I thought last year was going to be a, a sea change in being a Giants fan, lads, but um doesn't seem like it's going to be, unfortunately. I think I'm doomed to a few more years of shit. But what I hope we don't do is I hope we don't... I hope we don't fire Shane and Dayball because I do think long-term they will be good for, for the New York Giants franchise and I do think they will get us to where we need to be, but it's quite obvious that we need a bit of a rebuild. Aggie, you're going to jump in there. Oh, wait, mate. Yeah, but he's kind of answered the question for me. I was going to ask him his thoughts on the reactions to the coaching perspective. So basically what's happened on there, yeah, basically what's happened on there is there was a situation on fourth and one on their first drive that was in clear field goal range and they went for it. They failed. We got the ball back. There was an opportunity in their own side on third and 11. And despite the nightmare time they was having, they opted to run, which then made it fourth and I think 13 at the time. So on the back of that, there was a lot of booing aimed towards the coaching decisions. And Kemp, you kind of answered my question there by saying, you they don't get sacked. But your thoughts on like the, the booing from the fan base towards the decision making of, you know, Dave and the other coaches. Just just before yeah, Kemp answers that, just a bit of perspective on that third and long run call. Whereabouts on the field was they? Their own half. Mm, yeah, I can kind of forgive that. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's one of them argue where, where if if it works, then Dayball's praised for being a genius. It, it didn't work and, and he's not got the players to do that. And I think what Dayball is kind of still thinking is that he's, he's still got the same team and the momentum from last season. If he made that play call last season, the chances are it might have worked. It probably would have worked. There were a lot of decisions like that where we were at fourth and one in weird positions where it worked. Um, but but this season, I can't put it down to the coaching staff. I can't because the the the, the decisions they made last season improved us so much so that Sam that Sam said Dave all got that poison chalice. So it's it's the personnel on the field for me, and and unfortunately the, the heads need to roll. Um, and if things don't change very very quickly, the first head that needs to roll is uh, is DJ. Um, but. One positive I have got is I mentioned at the start of the podcast and revealed the, the jerseys that I'd, I'd purchased for, for you boys. I did get a Thibodeau jersey, which is a really nice jersey. It's the most recent jersey that I've got. And I think he's one of our shining stars on defence. And hopefully he can improve a little bit from his start to the season. But I've also got what I think is possibly my favourite jersey that I've ever bought. And it's very, very special to me as a New York Giants fan. Oh, nice, it's number that 56. Is. It's Lawrence Taylor. It's the 1998 New York Giants jersey um, from Super Bowl 25. So, yeah, I mean, it's an absolute view. This is the only good thing about the New York Giants at the minute is that I've purchased this jersey and they've, and they've allowed that to happen. Uh, but apart from that, it's pretty fucking miserable. So I'm going to take this. I'm going to put myself on mute and I'm going to cram myself to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely fair uh, one other result from this weekend that's going to lead us into the weekend preview uh, a titanic battle in the AFC and specifically the AFC East as Miami Dolphins 
travelled to Buffalo to take on the Buffalo Bills. There's been many conversations over the last few months and last couple of years about what the Buffalo Bills are capable of. Is Josh, is Josh Allen the real deal? You know, Can he get it done in the big, important games? And we know the, the start that Miami Dolphins have had uh, to start the season, and they have looked at a front-runner in the AFC. But Buffalo Bills, 48-20 winners against the Miami Dolphins. A dominant win as they head to London this weekend, which we will get into very shortly as we preview week five. But just to close off week four, Buffalo 48, Miami 20. We were only discussing a couple of weeks ago within the last couple of weeks' episodes if Miami are a serious and genuine threat within the AFC. And Sam, I'll come to you first on this. With that result, what do you think that that does for the landscape of the AFC? It's a statement win. As you say, It's um, it, the Dolphins are probably the hottest team in the league bar the 49ers. And they've come in and, and the Bills have taken care of business very, very nicely. Um, questions all around the Bills and Josh Allen, as you say, but they've, they've more than answered that. Um, home field, Dolphins never really seem to travel well to, to Buffalo. Um, but I think there was a little bit of optimism in the Dolphins camp going into this one. Because if you remember the, I don't know if it's the, I think it was the wildcard game uh, last year, uh, the Dolphins went into Buffalo and lost by three points with that, third string quarterback uh, they'd lost uh, to her obviously without for the year then they lost the backup and they've got the third string quarterback and they only lost by three and they gave a hell of a count of themselves and everyone was saying if two was uh, if two was fit they probably would have won that so um, I think they had a lot of confidence going into that and the Bills have just said no 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 this is our gaff you're still not going to win regardless of who's your quarterback and, and they've stomped all over him so it's a, it's a hell of a win for Buffalo I think they needed it just uh, looking at the table now the American, yeah, three and one. If if they lose that, it's uh, you know two and two, and in a division with the Dolphins, the Dolphins would leapfrog them and and take full control of that division. But no, they they got the win, and and the Buffalo sit top. Absolutely, mate. And and Aggie, I'm going to come to you, mate, to uh, open up Week Five preview. I know we spoke about their or I mentioned their Bills coming over this weekend to London for the second London game of the season. But uh, before we get to that, we've, of course, got Thursday night football as the Bears face the Washington Commanders. And, uh, Dumpster we, we, Bowl. Yeah. We've, uh, <laughs> well, look, we, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago when you said who's been the most surprising team. Washington did get a shout-out for, for their now 2-2 two and two start. Um, but the Bears, look, we, we, we spoke about the Bears enough in our, in our group chats with Tina being a Bears fan, but they are on the verge of having their worst start since 1997. If they lose tonight against Washington, they will be 0-5 for the, for the first time since the year I mentioned there, 1997. So a very, very long time. So we'll very quickly go around the room. I don't think at this point we need to delve too deep into the teams themselves, but of course we like to put our names to predictions. So Aggie, Washington Commanders, Chicago Bears, who do you think wins and by how much? I think Washington by three. I think the Bears did show a bit of promise against, albeit the Broncos, and no team should ever go up by that amount and then throw it away. So I think they're going to struggle to, to see it through. Defence isn't too good for them at the moment, but I think uh, the, the commanders will see it through by three. Fair. Kemp? Yeah, I actually think the fact that the Bears threw away that lead will mean that they are going to suffer. Um, I think their confidence will be absolutely shot. So I think the commander's by 10. And I think it will be by 10, but I think it will be even more dominant than the scoreline potentially suggests. 
Interesting. Sam, are you going to um, jump on the Bears after your pre-season predictions or is it are they dead and buried? No, I think I'll back them. I think I'm going to back them for this one. I think it's opposite to what Kemp says. I think this is going to be a very close, very high-scoring game. Both defences haven't turned up at all this year, which is more a, more of a bad look on Washington than it is on the Bears. The Washington have stacked that defence with first-round picks, and they just haven't shown up at all this, so far this season. They're getting run all over. I think they've got one of the worst run defences in the league, um, and I think this will be a really close shootout, actually. And um, But I do have the Bears just, just about winning, just giving teams that little bit of hope just so next week after it just crushes them again well uh, you've cursed them now so we'll see this and absolutely hate you for it backing them so uh, I'll go with a Washington win by a touchdown and I, I agree with Kemp actually I don't think that the score difference will be massive but I think the on-field on performance will be more dominant Washington as I said at, at the start of this have been quite surprising this year. Sam Howell has been more than a competent quarterback. Um, Brian Robinson at running back as well has performed really well. So I think they'll be relatively comfortable on field, but the scoreline won't necessarily suggest that. So, yeah, Washington by a touchdown uh, tonight. Um, the next game to preview is the second London game of the season. Jacksonville Jaguars off the back of a relatively comfortable win against the Atlanta Falcons this previous Sunday at Wembley. Move across London to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to take on the aforementioned oh, 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 Buffalo Bills in what should be a big game. And I'm sure a lot of people would have had this penciled in as a big, big, big statement AFC game at the start of the season. So we're very lucky to have it hosted in the UK and at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So Jacksonville Jaguars getting their season back on track with a comfortable win last Sunday. Very used to London and the surroundings and, and what that travel and everything brings Buffalo, like you said, Sam, a huge statement win against the Miami Dolphins. So, Sam, I will come to you first. Who do you see taking the win in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Sunday, 2.30pm um, kickoff. I think it's a fascinating game, this one. Just the whole Jag staying over in London, two week in a row, never been done before by any any football team. So, you'd, you'd feel that they're nice and climatised. There shouldn't be any, any jack, jet lag whatsoever. They're nice and fresh going into the game. They've they've had the tours of London. They've done all the things they wanted to do, all the touristy things, and, and, and it's game time again. Uh, Bills, again, just coming off a... Unbelievable victory against the Dolphins. You can't help but think they're going to be full of confidence, but they do have that working against them, the fact that they are coming into London and that can kind of disrupt their schedule. So I am going to say the Bills. I am going to say the Bills win this one. I think it's going to be a very, very close game. Um, I think the Jags are going to push them all the way uh, and I think Bills will win by three. I will go next. I'm going to agree with you and disagree with you. I'm going to take the Bills, but I'm going to win, have them winning by two touchdowns. Mm. I think with where they're located, it's not necessarily a long flight compared to you know, the distance they might have to travel to, say, go to Miami to face Dolphins within their division and, and everything else. So I think they'll be relatively used to the amount of travel they'll have to give. And, and I do think that that is a, a big momentum swinger in, in the Jags. It was a comfortable win on Sunday, but it wasn't exactly a dominant one. It, it, Atlanta were about as bad as they were good. So, yeah, I'm going to take the Bills by two touchdowns, 14 points at Tottenham Hotspur on Sunday. Aggie, who have you got winning at Tottenham this Sunday? Uh, the Bills, I'm going to stick with what you and Sam have said. Um, it's, it's, it's not going to be... I think it's just going to be one score. I don't think it's going to be an absolute annihilation. I think, like you've said, the Jags do have a bit of They've kind of adjusted to the time difference, that kind of stuff now as well, haven't they? So they've had the chance to enjoy themselves, like Sam said. They're now ready to take care of business, then go back to Jacksonville. 
Um, but I think the Bills are just going to be too strong. They're going to be riding that that flat, uh, that uh, wave after beating the Dolphins so successfully. To begin with, that game was a bit of a shootout, wasn't it? Just back and forth touchdowns. And then the Bills just went into second gear and stopped a very, very strong uh, Dolphins offence. And I think if you get that same sort of Bills defence, it'll be difficult for the Jags to mount any sort of offence and it'll see, uh, see the Bills to win. So I'm going to say That's seven fair. points. Seven points. Kemp, are we on a rare occasion going to get a full house of all four of us sticking on the same side or are you going to lone wolf it and give the Jacksonville Jaguars some hope? No, I would absolutely love to give TK and his boys some hope, but unfortunately I'm going with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I've said it before, say it again. Josh Allen, the Bills in in the regular season, they're, they're one of the teams to beat. They always have been um, and I think they will be this uh, this weekend in Wembley as well. But unfortunately, towards the playoffs, that's when they kind of fall away. But we are still on week five, so there's plenty and plenty of time for the Bills to to do what they do in the regular season. And I believe they will do that this weekend. And I believe they will beat the Jags by... I'm going to stick with the same score difference as I did the first game by 10. That's absolutely fair. And the final game we're going to preview for week five of the NFL, the main event of the weekend. Not the last game, Sam, unfortunately. The true <laughs> main event. The true main event on paper of the weekend. Yes, granted, the Packers are the last game of the weekend. Yeah, that, night to be football. But the game before that is Sunday Night Football. An 8.20 kickoff on the East Coast of America. A 1.20 kickoff on Monday morning over here. It is the Dallas Cowboys. The 3-1 and Dallas Cowboys travelling to the Levi Stadium to take on the San Francisco 49ers, who have been phenomenal in their first four games of the season. So I'm going to assume that we're all going to pick the San Francisco 49ers, but... We'll go around the room just in case there is anyone that fancies Dallas getting an upset victory and continuing their fine start to the season. And Aggie, I will start with you. I am going to go with San Francisco 49ers. I think that offence is like ridiculously strong. I know I said at the beginning, <clears throat> sorry, beginning that we'd win the NFC West, but maybe I did underestimate the Niners a little bit. You know, they're just incredible. A little bit? You underestimated them a little bit? Yeah. You underestimated them a lot, mate. Nah, just a little bit. That that was a bold prediction from you. That that was your best bold prediction because the rest of them weren't very bold. Well, well, of course. Um, no, I'm going to go with San Fran to uh, to get the win by a comfortable. I'm going to go with ten points just so that Kemp has to go for something different this time round. And I feel like I, part of me feels like I have to go with it just because last week I also said that I felt Brock Purdy was an outside shot for uh, MVP. Absolutely fair, mate. Kemp, do you want to come back? I'll, I'll let you have the chance to come back on that while you've got the chance. Yeah, well, what a shame that I'd gone for something and now I can't go for it. San Francisco 49ers <laughs> by 10. Shut the fuck up. Uh, that's what I'm going with. Um, yeah, you mentioned there, Adam, to be fair. Best shout you've made all day, Brock Purdy. Could be a shout for MVP. Against the Arizona Cardinals, lads, this is fucking staggering to me. 21 attempts, 20 completions. He completed 20 of his 21 passes. That, for me, that's... I mean, it's not loads of passes, but Jesus fucking Christ, it's accurate. And when you've got McCaffrey in the backfield, when you've got the weapons, when you've got the defence that the San Francisco 49ers have got, woo, it's a scary team. And, uh, yeah, you could definitely wouldn't be shocked if I saw them with a Lombardi trophy at the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, for me, San Francisco 49ers by 10. Cowboys have had a good start, um, but I think the 49ers will, uh, will be too much. 
I will take over off the back of that because historically Cowboys have been America's team, but uh, recently they've certainly been the the joke team and the meme team of the NFL, and they at some point come unstuck. And I do think that week five is the first week in which we start to see that San Francisco phenomenal start. Kemp Seen it in Arizona, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, to be yeah, very fair point. But uh, I think. This is a, a matchup against the big boys, something they could potentially face in the playoffs. And there's there's a there's a gap between the two. And I fancy San Francisco winning by 17 um, in that primetime game on Sunday night. Wow, huge. Um, just to correct you, it's not the biggest matchup of the week. The biggest matchup of the week is Jair Alexander going up against Devontae Adams. That is a fucking mouthwatering thing that I would love to watch. Well, well I'll, tell, I'll, I'll tell you what, Len. Give us your prediction and then give us your preview of, the, of that matchup and that game. Um, so I also I'm going to stick with Niners. Um, I think the Cowboys can be a, play a little bit soft at times when they come up against a real team, and the Niners are just well drilled from top to bottom. Um, I do think Brock Purdy. I do think is a, is the is the perfect product of a system QB. I think Shanahan is scheming him to absolute perfection. Can, can the- I just say they said the same about Tom Brady? At what point? And I'm not saying that I necessarily disagree with you, but again, for the sake of arguments, and you can roll your eyes, Ken Paul, you want. But for the sake of argument, at what point do we give Brock Purdy his flowers? Well, he's not even won a fucking Super Bowl yet. So if you're comparing him against Tom Brady, I'm not. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that it was always Brady was the system and blah blah blah. And now, in hindsight, it's not. So Brock Purdy, Kemp said there, phenomenal completion rate, accurate. Yes, he might have only thrown 21 passes, but he completed 20. So at what point do we do we start to give him credit and not just it's the system, it's this, it's he, that? He, he, he needs a few more years, yeah. He's, he's only played about fucking eight games, to be fair. So it definitely needs at least three seasons before we uh, before we give him any kind of any kind of flowers like that. He's playing really well, and I'm not going to slag him off whatsoever. But I think I'm going to guess of his 21 throws, at least 11 of them will probably be on the outline of scrimmage and screen passes to his running back. So, uh, you know, these are all short, short to meet intermediate uh, throws that he's making, and to, he's making them. So, uh, you know, he's, he's playing really well, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But I think MVP shouts for me are a little bit early. I, I don't think he's putting the team on his back. I think it's more Shanahan and scheming, and the run game is, is playing off the run game so yeah just to uh, just to point out he averaged 14 yards per completion and and a lot of the throws were you know intermediate throws that kind of thing as well just again to sort of put some perspective and some credit on his name mm, i'm not sure about that i think you've just uh i think you've just pulled that one up yeah i think <laughs> i can just got it over there i think it's usual case isn't it where you know we've already talking about world darts championship in in december i'm looking forward to talking about van gerwen aspen or michael smith whoever else it might be but then i'm looking forward to to dawson coming in and saying <laughs> at what point are we going to talk about tom brady fucking leave him alone man fuck me i'll wait for that I'm waiting for that yeah i, I do think i mean it's, it's not what i said at all but yeah well done I do, I do think he's at what a, point are we going to talk about Tom Brady at what point are we going to talk about Brock Purdy and him being and the what? reason and then yeah what? exactly and I was making a what? comparison at no point to did who? I say what to you who? just said to who? To who? you're an idiot mate you're an idiot yeah shut the fuck well up done. mate well keep, well keep, keep well Tom done. Brady's name out your fucking mouth he's done yeah. he's dead no. fuck him Wow, Rooney. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I said that there yeah I think he's a system QB um but, you know, he's, he's taking his chances and fair play to him. Um, I do have the Niners winning. Um, I think it'll be quite high scoring on both accounts. Uh, but I'm going to go Niners by four. 
And for the Monday night game, uh, Green Bay uh, travel to the desert and go to Las Vegas, play the Raiders. Um, I do think we'll bounce back and I do think we'll beat them. Um, not sure what's going to happen with the quarterback situation. I know uh, Garoppolo is currently going through a concussion protocol. Um, so he's obviously got that extra day that he can um, that he can recover from. Probably going to start, but you know I, I don't think Garoppolo has been that good anyway to start the season. And uh, and Devontae Adams has to be fair. I should know because I've got him in my fantasy team. Has been been raking it in for me. Uh, so yeah, the the matchup I'm most looking forward to this entire weekend is a game that I'm not even excuse me is a game that I'm not actually going to be even watching. And it's uh, it's Jair Alexander against uh, against Devontae Adams. Yes, can we you say? So for the last like four days when I've been looking at the fixtures for this week, I've obviously seen um, Packers versus Raiders as Monday Night Football. And I've been thinking to myself, like, why are they playing him again? Like, that makes no sense. Like, really, really confusing me. And it's literally just this moment clicked. Because I was thinking they played Derek Carr before, I was thinking they'd already played the Raiders, but he's moved to this. And it was the Saints that you played. And it's just, the, honestly, for the last four days or so, it's been confusing the life out of me. And it's just clicked now that car moved and it was the Raiders you were playing. Uh, sorry, the Saints you were playing, now you're playing the Raiders. So, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because I'm really happy that that's just clicked. And yeah. I wasn't confused, I was just wrong. <laughs> yeah, completely wrong, to be fair. Yeah, so I, uh, I expect us to win this one. Um, I think we're going to go in. Uh, I think uh, Raiders played the Chargers, I think, last weekend. I mean, I, I were in Skegner, so I didn't really see much of Red Zone or anything, but... Um, I know that they sacked him a hell of a lot of times and I think Khalil Mack got six sacks on his own or something like that so I think um, I think you're looking at your Rashawn Garriers and and this boy uh, Lucas Van Ness I think they've got potential to have a bit of a field day we need to sort our O-line out though that's an absolute must we played against the Lions obviously last Thursday night and we was absolutely atrocious um, I watched it till half time and they just ran up a score of something like 20 24 to three or 24 to none or something like that. So I turned it off and it looked like they would put up a decent performance in the second half and put some points on the board, but the game was already over at that point. So we need to sort the O-line out because it was decimated last week. And I think if we if we can do that and get and get some pieces back, I think we should uh, we should be beating the Raiders. That's fair. I thought I'd let you get that in there after you were very upset about me calling the Sunday night football game the main event of the week. But uh, I was very... Sam, you chucked out the question the other week about surprising teams and a question that I just very quickly wanted to put out there. Again, too early to tell. We're only four weeks in. But I am just going to want to give you all the opportunity to potentially change your pre-season pick for the Super Bowl. I've got the San Francisco 49ers. I had them as the runner-ups, uh, runners-up um, in, in our predictions, losing to the Bengals. But with the Bengals start, I, I can't in all in all good conscience, stick with them as of now. So I'm, I'm going to move the chair to San Francisco and say, based on what we've seen four weeks in, I, I think they'll uh, I think they'll lift the Lombardi Trophy in Feb. So I'm going to give you all the opportunity to potentially change your pre-season pick as well. And Aggie, I'll start with you, mate. Are you sticking with your pre-season pick or after four weeks has another team caught your eye? I can't even remember I went for as my pre-season pick. I just find it quite funny that you Chiefs. want to change who you've gone for. So you've thought, I know what I'll do. I'll let everybody else have a go to make it look less bad on me. <laughs> All right, so um, who, who, who are you picking? There we go. Chiefs to be Eagles? Eagles, Sanfran? yeah. Eagles? No, I'm sticking yeah. with it. Stick with it. Are, are you sticking with that out of pure stubbornness or because you think the Chiefs are in a position where they're going to win the, the whole thing? Bit of both. Okay, there we go. So it's it's you, you're stubborn. Sam? I don't even remember our pick, mate. See, if, if, you, if you were going to do this, <laughs> right. if you were going to do this, I thought you'd have come with the information on who we've got and who we can. 
You I know. mean, it's your pick, mate. I thought you'd remembered. So just right now... No, I, I went aware that I was going to fucking change them, was I? So I'm not really getting much thought. It's you that's fucking throwing curveball in. All right. Well, it, do, it doesn't matter either way, does it? Just right now, based on what you know, what you've seen, who do you think wins the Super Bowl trophy? We'll worry about if it's different later. San Fran. It's different. So there you go. You've changed. Can... So you did know who it was, then? <laughs> you put no, it but I know, I know, I know where it's San Fran. Unbelievable. No, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you it was, but I know where it's San Fran. You're upsetting everyone today, you are. I yeah, believe well, I, to- I told you earlier, it was too much love going on in the intro. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah but how do we factor Tom Brady into this conversation? That's the question. He um... grew up watching Sam Fran. Outstanding. <laughs> 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 Outstanding from you there. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I believe I went with the Eagles to beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, I think. And um, I am going to say that I'm going to stick with it. Not because I'm being stubborn, and I think the 49ers are definitely... If I saw them in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised. But I think the Eagles this season have been doing something that's quite impressive, actually. And you see this from other sports, potentially. Um, In the mark of champions, they've been winning quite ugly. They've not been as good as they were last season, I don't think, the Eagles, but they've still been winning all their games. So for me, I think... In the trenches, which is when, you know, that's, that's a Super Bowl. It doesn't get any more in, tre- in the trenches than that. Uh, I think they've learned from their experience. They've got an unbelievable roster. They're still winning games, maybe not as comfortably as they were before. Uh, but I am going to stick with the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl. Um, just but- um, just, just, uh, just on that, sorry, I didn't thought you'd done there. Just just on the back of your, your Eagles position there. Uh, they, have you seen their run-up, running in, over the last couple of, next couple of games? It's, it's, it's- Mate, not even a couple. Like, genuinely, yeah. the next five to seven games. Yeah, out. it's... A lot of a lot of people, as you've rightfully said, a lot of a lot of Eagles fans are actually saying that they're not impressed with how they're playing and they're just getting these wins by hook or by crook. But you've got to stack these wins nice and early. They don't, you know, win ugly. It's still a, it's still a win at the end of the day. But just coming up, they've got obviously they've got the Jets coming up soon, which you, you know you fully expect them to beat them. Then after that, it's the Dolphins, it's the Commanders, then it's the Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, Niners, Cowboys, Seahawks. Giants, Cardinals, uh, and so then... stop it, mate! Stop before Seahawks. That was the tough bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's yeah. no question. Listen, there's no question that obviously they've got a very, very tough schedule in that time period. But you know what? They're not going to go all season undefeated. I think it's very, no. very difficult to do so as as Elon Man improved. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 difficult. But that's the NFL, and and I do think they've got enough about them. Like I say, winning ugly. To, uh, to get the job done. So I am going to stick with the Eagles, but yeah, if they start struggling and to pick up results and the 49ers just go from strength to strength, visitors later in week seven or eight, and uh, I might be moving that chair alongside you, Dawson. We'll see. I'll ask you again next week. But that is episode 71 in the book. So let's very quickly, let's discuss weekends. Sam, I'm going to start with you, mate. Last weekend, you were in Skegness. Is it a pretty chilled one, or have you got activities planned for this weekend? No, not off the top of my head. I'm hoping for a nice chilled weekend where I can just do fuck all, recharge the batteries, um, watch a bit of NFL on the Sunday. It's my favourite favorite day of the, of the week at the minute. Uh, but yeah, absolutely no plans at all, and, uh, and I'm quite thankful for that. I'll tell you what, actually, uh, we have been paid today, haven't we? So I may I may go out, fancy going out for a meal or something like that. But other than that, it's... Um, it's it's going to be a pretty quiet one. You know what? I've I've not been to Hickory's for a while, and um, I'm I'm kind of yeah yeah I'm kind of fancy Hickory's. So yeah, watch watch this space. I might even go in with my new my new jersey on because it's a bit of an American theme, isn't it? 
at GNF. I love every bit of the sound of that. Kemp, I might drop you, your uh, I gone. might drop your new I might drop your new New Jersey round and you can decide which one you want to go Is with. Is it <laughs> oh, at GNF again? Get him in. Gary Neville on the next listener lock in. Kemp, back from Dublin. You mentioned earlier golf season is over now in the professional world. Have you still got time to fit a round or two in? Or uh, what's happening in your world this weekend? Yeah, in in the personal world, mate, this is where the hard work begins. Playing golf, this is this is when you get over the winter. You get your woolly hat on, your coat on, and you get whacking balls at the driving range and getting practicing for next season. This is when you start laying the groundwork for your golf game in twenty twenty four. I have got a round of golf booked in Saturday morning. So that'll that'll start my weekend nice and early. At uh, I think it's ten past seven on Saturday morning, as the usual oh, tea time. That's just it's just recent, disgusting. Isn't uh, it? Recent events, uh, but that's the tea time. Saturday uh, evening, I am going to the dogs for the father-in-law's stag do, which is going to be good. Again, I'm not drinking, so I will be driving and driving back. It will be very sensible, but I'm looking forward to potentially move, losing a little bit of money on the uh, on the hounds. So I'm looking forward to that. Sunday, Sunday, I am going out on a bike ride, which I'm looking forward to getting back on the road bike, which is uh, which is good. Uh, and then Sunday evening, I will be watching the NFL, having a Sunday dinner, and uh, and getting ready for the week coming up. Sounds good, mate. Sounds good indeed. Aggie, you've booked yourself off a week off from your new commentary venture to be picked up, and we will of course discuss that in episode seventy-two on what game you'll be commentating on. So, uh, seeing as you've booked yourself a week off, what have you got planned this weekend? It's next weekend I've got off. It's Phoebe's fifth birthday, so it's next weekend I've got off. This weekend I've got Everton versus Bournemouth. Oh, I thought it was next weekend. My bad. Nope. Seventh, um, Everton-Bournemouth. So it's either going to be 10 apiece or nil-nil because both teams are equally shit. So it should be good to watch. Um, Next weekend's international break, isn't it? It won't be then. Yeah, true. Fair fair point. Fair point well made. Yeah, then Sunday, just chill. Right, just have a bit of a lie-in, get up ready to watch our past two game in London and, of course, through to uh, Red Zone at six o'clock. Looking forward to hopefully going to a game next year as well because we've got a lot of uh, incomings and outgoings at the moment, so we've not been able to really consider it. But yeah, from what I've heard from all you guys that have been to games, that it's uh, it's an unreal experience and definitely something I should look into doing. So looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely, mate. As someone like yourself who's used to to football, it's a completely different vibe, experience, everything. So yeah, definitely, mate. I hope you get to one next year. But I'm sure you'll be squeezing in uh, Arsenal versus Man City. Uh, in between the London game and, and the six o'clock kickoffs as well. How did you know? Just a educated guess. Sam, I don't know if you've purposely just dragged something into the frame there, mate. What what are you doing? He's uh, he's keeping himself on mute as to uh, as to not put himself in the picture. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end it now before I start losing my head. Um, that's episode seventy-one in the books. Lads, I'll see you next week. Night. Jay, night.